All right, I'm just gonna uh chat, confirm if y'all can see us. Uh yes, if anyone if anyone can can give me a thumbs up in the different chats, that'd be great. <laughs> and you hear us is all good over on both Twitch and YouTube. Big thumbs up in the comments would go down very well. Yes, please. Otherwise, I have to check myself. Okay, Twitch is good. YouTube, anybody? Going once. Going to yep, oh, YouTube's fine. good. I've just okay, seen good. It pop up on my screen. Good, um, good, so good. All right. So, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to a, another week of Lorebeards, where we come together every Sunday to discuss Warhammer Fantasy goodness. And this week, uh, in the poll, the winners was the Secrets of the Slayers. So, at long last, after i believe this is our 10th episode something like that i think uh, you're on to your 15th for this season yes oh yeah because well, yeah, it's all yeah, messy right mixed up, back, but yeah. uh <laughs> a bit messed up but yeah about yeah my, my season like system does not have logic to it it's very arbitrary <laughs> but uh <laughs> in any event um we are finally talking about the brave dawi at long last and not only are we talking about uh, the dwarfs, but we were talking about the dwarfiest dwarfs that can be found, uh, save for maybe like the oldest of the runesmiths, um, the slayers, the doom seekers, the those that have uh, declared uh, an oath, the likes of which most dwarves are terrified of, and for good reason. Yeah. Um, so to start for this discussion, also hello Andy and uh, hi, I, I, how I are just, you doing? I'm just not. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to podcast. Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, you do. You're an absolute star. Yeah. So um I'll, I'll add my little bit. Um I'm really looking forward to this subject because it's something that I've discussed behind the scenes with both a lot of people at Games Workshop and a lot of writers for, for example, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And most of them on an initial stab don't get it. Um, I've had quite a few writers come to me with pieces um, that I've looked at and gone, uh, we're going to have to turn this one back, turn it around, twist it around a little bit, because they don't quite get the dwarf psyche and what taking the Slayer Oath means, and just how deep it is, and how fundamental it is, not just to the Slayer who swears it, but also to dwarves as a whole, and also what ancestor worship is, and how it is reflected in dwarf society. So there's a whole bunch of things that's going to be super fun for us to dive into today. Yes, and before we even started the stream, Hammond was already throwing money to get Let questions answered. Yeah, so... so <laughs> Hammond asks, what would dwarves do if a human with a mega long beard showed up to the Karazan Corps? Is he immediately declared the new high king? Is he a dwarf friend? Is he given an axe? Um, no. And no. And <laughs> if he asked very nicely, maybe. Um, <laughs> Cut a long story short. Yeah, no. Because obviously there are different... Short! Different society. <laughs> did, you, did you say bloody short? Yeah. Um, that aside, though, um, I do think that many dwarves do appreciate their traditions being recognized by other people. And when people make an effort, it should be reflected. As a single example, just to give you a little bit of a taster, in my games, um, it's quite common for ambassadors or diplomats that come from the human societies moving over towards dwarven ones to grow beards, to grow their hair long so that they better fit in and they show respect towards the culture that they're taking a trip into. So if a random person turned up, are they a dwarven? Devonger, they are not, but they are yeah. most certainly um, going to be more respected if they are indeed doing it to be 
respectful. Yeah, and, and that's the that's the important thing is that dwarfs would very much see it as even though most humans would not intend it, dwarfs would see it as oh, there's somebody that shares our values, like or someone that like is showing the proper level of respect. Uh, also, that immediately marks that some that person is someone that is older because growing up like dwarfs have a very practical feeling towards like growing your hair and growing your beard it is a literal indicator of age um now that being said if you're gonna have a long beard and you show up to talk to the dwarves it would be much better for to make sure your beard is very well tended to um uh and like very nice and clean and stuff because if you show up with like a scraggly mess like mine they're gonna be like <laughs> no proper respect these umgi and there's one other last question there from Hammond. Again, thanks very much, Hammond. Why don't slayers use spears or swords? They used to. Indeed. Originally I would say I would still say they do. It's just well, like the stereotypical art isn't going to show that. Yeah. So I'm actually going to take a slightly different angle because they've taken a slightly different route to what they used to be before. Originally, the slayers weren't necessarily so deeply tied to Grimner in the way that they are now. Um, and the cult of the Slayer, when they were first envisioned, didn't exist. Indeed, if we go back to the original versions of the Slayers, you'll find that they even had armor, something that they very, very definitely <laughs> don't have these, these yeah. days. That just doesn't occur. And I think we'll probably cover that to some depth later. But loosely speaking, the answer to this one is they are emulating their ancestor, the great ancestor god that is Grimner. And Grimner had his two mighty axes, which means that the vast majority of the slayers who will be doing absolutely everything in their power to reclaim their honor by following in the footsteps of Grimner will be using axes just like him because it's the way it's done. It's tradition. You do the right thing. If they're going to be reclaiming their honor, they should be doing it the right way because dwarves are all about doing things the right way. Yeah, and uh, you will find exceptions. Um, like there, there's quite a few Black Library books where you'll see dwarfs literally wielding the most bizarre or slayers, in particular, mm -hmm. wielding rather bizarre weapons. But a lot of that's because they took an axe originally and then they lost it because it shattered or monster ate it or something, yeah. and they're just like, "Well, I, I gotta have something." Um, yeah. and they're not living in the dwarf holds anymore, so they make do. And but, you've got um, to remember they're practical people um, and they're also individuals. Just because there is um, one way of doing it doesn't mean that another hold, that another aspect of the Slayer cult doesn't think there's another way of doing it. What is the acceptable lines upon which we can't cross? And different dwarves will have differing opinions. They are not a monolithic group where they all think exactly the same thing. They have disagreements. It's just they manifest those disagreements in very different ways to how humans manifest them, where it often just turns to, I'm going to stab you if you disagree with me. <laughs> um, that's basically how most wars are uh, brought up across the human realms. That isn't how it works amongst the dwarves. Uh, and Michael, thank you very much for the super chat. Uh, I, I don't even know. Oh, just the axe emoji. Thank you for your axe. We appreciate super it. Important. And his axe. Yeah, thank you. Um, and his axe. So uh, getting into Slayers, I think the first place we have to start is with Grimnir. Like that is that is the beginning of the tale. And so I'm going to give a brief overview of the history of Grimnir. And then Andy's probably going to add some stuff that I either forgot or uh, probably is not very well known or published in a lot of easy to access places. <laughs> Uh, because My job. yeah, because dwarfs are actually as uh, kind of a side note are very criminally underrepresented uh, under uh, in a lot of places like elves, and it can be very difficult to do a lot of research on them. As like when it comes to the role play game, 
dwarves really didn't get a lot um in the Warhammer Fantasy. I'll, I'll just drop in. They did get stored in steel, which was a book. For yeah, that was fancy role play first edition. edition. It was a long time ago. Yeah, and there was also a couple of dwarf holds detailed across the second and the third edition, and a little bit in fourth. But again, not a great deal of detail in slayers mm. in there. Yeah, and stone. Yeah, stone and steel is really the only thing. That was almost explicitly focused on them. Uh, what if Grimnir came back and told them to their face, you'll stop being silly, you slayers reprint by staying alive? Well, an ancestor god reappearing would be kind of a massive event, so I imagine it would cause some kerfluffle. Further, that is deeply unlikely, and they are not, I think it's very fair to say here, they are not killing themselves. That is not what they're doing. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's we're gonna get into that. We're gonna get into soon because slayers are often deeply misunderstood. Yeah, give us give us a minute. <laughs> we will minute. get there. We will yeah, get there. So, so uh Grimnir. Uh Thanks so again, the, yeah. Uh yes, thank you very much, Hammond. We do appreciate the support. So getting into uh the ancestor gods, I'm going to very heavily summarize it because I want to focus most of today's uh stream on the actual slayers themselves. Of that the ancestor gods were the you, you could debate that they're the original dwarves. I think it's a little more complex than that, but they are the very, very first iteration of the dwarves that it seems there was something more to them than just being dwarves. Um, but uh, the main big ones that are talked about the most are uh, Grugni, Valea, and Grimnir as kind of the big major trio. There are a host of others outside of that. There's like Gazul, the god of death. Uh, and well, actually, he's more yeah, and then yeah, you got Morgrim. You have a lot of children uh who are considered ancestor gods. You have the really, really weird Skavor, who we do not have time to talk about today because he is very weird. Um, but uh yeah, so uh moving on from them, um, the dwarfs, uh, according to myth and legend, uh the old ones created them somewhere near or at where uh modern day Kadak Zorn lies, which is a lost hold. And uh after they emerged from the mountains. They started migrating their way north uh, along the World's Edge Mountains, and they followed that way, 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 way up. And this was in the age before the demons. However, just because there were not demons about did not mean the world was safe. Um, there were lots and lots of terrors that were all over the place. There were dragons and all sorts of other strange species and entire civilizations that we have lost to time because they've gone extinct and they did not survive either the old ones or they did not survive chaos. Um, but the early dwarves had to deal with a lot of these. And while the dwarves were migrating, they started having to fight against these creatures, um, which actually puts a very interesting dichotomy between like the elves and the dwarves where the elves had more of a paradise realm with Ulthuan. one. Um, there were some issues, but for the most part, like they got, a, they got around with like bows and hunting spears, whereas the dwarves had to actually gear up pretty hard uh, to deal with a lot of their threats. Um, Grimnir was the ancestor god that mainly dealt with battle. Um, he was in charge of when some major threat would come to attack the dwarves, something would lurk up from the depths beneath the earth or the dragons or whatever. He would be the one that would run out and face it, um, sometimes with an army behind him, sometimes by himself. Um, probably the most famous battle that is very well talked about that Grimnir uh, engaged in was the battle that formed Blackfire Pass, mm. where uh, as Grimnir and the dwarves were moving up through the mountains, they founded uh, Kadok Eight Peaks, which was a huge deal, and then they moved further north and founded Kadasakadak, which was also a huge deal. Uh, eventually, 
somehow, some way, uh, they caught wind of a dragon uh, over in what we now know as kind of where the Black Mountains meets like the World's Edge Mountains. And this dragon was Skaladrak. And um, yeah. something that's actually really fascinating about dwarfs um, that I kind of wanted to point out, not because it's really relevant, but I just find it very interesting, is that when dwarves talk about a lot of their ancestral big bads, they often refer to them as mothers. Um, it is the mother of dragons or the mother of this or the mother of that, which is just very, very interesting compared to like humans who always like to assume it's the father uh, that they're going up against is the real problematic entity. As a small interruption there to um, harp back to one of Loremaster's previous streams for Lorebeards um, when he talked with Lindsay. Um, so go check one of those previous streams. They bring yes, up absolutely. a very small detail about how Dwarven society is pretty much reliant upon the women folk and why. So we won't dive into that here because it's not what the, um, the Slayer tap topic is about but there's a really fascinating aspect to their society that's brought up in that so do go back and check that previous uh chat because it was really good yes also like within that um there is a hilarious full-on lore fact that dwarf women are considered to be more far more terrifying than dwarf men uh like if a dwarf woman actually gets into battle it's considered terrifying <laughs> absolutely terrible i could give specific examples but we don't have time for that so anyway um grimnir uh goes into the mountains and he fights skaladrak who the dwarves believe is the mother of all dragons like the mother of dragons the big bad and she was colossal uh she was likely an emperor class dragon uh which uh we use based on the terminology that was introduced later in like the sort of magic which are dragons that are so fucking gigantic that just introduced it. Our emperor dragon goes right back to the beginnings of warhammer it's a very old terminology oh well there you go so they brought it very first there. Emperor dragon that was released right about 1988 ish i'm gonna guess so it's an old term so I'm I retract really fascinating that. actually in that one because the original White Dwarf advert speaks to the old ones in that as well. There you go. And uh, we do know that Skaladrak was also a fire dragon uh, sh and uh, she was likely heavily infused with Akshi, may have also been a wizard, uh, which is something they established Emperor Dragons being wizards. And she unleashed breath that was so deadly and so hot, it melted the mountains themselves into like an obsidian-like glass, which is how we got Blackfire Pass. Blackfire. Uh, uh, the dragon literally burned the mountains and Grimnir just powered through it. Uh, now, granted, Grimnir was equipped with uh, protections from Valea and also runic weapons uh, and armor by Grugni and uh, Morgrim and Spednir and, you know, all the stuff. Uh, so there, he, he was stacked, <laughs> but he was also a warrior without peer. And uh, the two of them had this epic battle that more than likely lasted for multiple days, if not weeks. And as is the case with epic as is the case. battles. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, at long last, uh, Grimnir kills Skaladrak. Uh, and she goes down somewhere in the mountains and uh, probably flattened some peaks, knowing Warhammer lore. <laughs> So I'm going to do a small interruption here in the breath pause and say that there's also a potential reinterpretation for what the actual driver of these events were. And that's that we know that the dwarves were uplifted and bettered by the old ones. They were turned into something different. And we also know that the old ones were driving their way across not just the old world as we understand it today, but the world as a whole with the uh, attempt, shall we say, to wipe out everything that wasn't part of their plan. And that, interestingly, 
interestingly enough, included the dragons, particularly and pointedly included the dragons. So it's quite possible that the dwarves were created specifically for this purpose, to go through the mountains, find all of those ancient, horrible, massive creatures and kill them. So it's hmm. very possible that this is a part of and a representation of the old one's plan being made manifest. Yeah, there's actually some really interesting stuff about how there are some very distinct differences between the Ulthwani dragons and the dragons of the old world. That Careful. there's a lot of interesting speculation that can be done there of like the Ulthwani dragons were able to talk with the old ones and were friendly with them and allowed to hang out with the elves. Whereas the old one dragons, old world dragons had to deal with the dwarfs and the dwarfs hate dragons. Um, there's a very, very bitter relationship there. Oh, yeah. But in any event, uh, this is the dwarves. Uh, as we said, we're not only dealing with dragons. They were also dealing with greenskins who showed up very early. Uh, the greenskins showed up well before chaos and the dwarves had to deal with them because the greenskins mm. escaped the extermination of the lizardmen by going underground where the dwarves were. Uh, so like they immediately start having fights. Um, and there are also things down there. Um, there are there are undescribable horrors beneath the earth long before chaos showed up that the dwarves are also dealing with and Grimnir fought. Um, there are some really cool notes if you read through the Gotrek and Felix series in uh, Orc Slayer. There is a horrible insect creature uh, that uh, Gotrek and Felix fight that is revealed to have been a uh, primordial dominant species that had an entire civilization and was incredibly powerful. And then the dwarves showed up. And they wiped them out um, until the very, very last one escaped into the depths of the earth until it showed back up in Go Trek and Felix. Um, so a quick thanks to that, Sean. And very quickly, if I was to pull one out, Valia. Hmm. We'll discuss that another day. Yeah. Thank so you very event, much for the support. Yeah. Grimnir uh, and the dwarves fight their way north, 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 north. Um, and then chaos shows up. Uh, the polar gates erupt. Uh, it was very sudden for the dwarves. There is some hints that the dwarves had an inkling that something was coming. Uh, uh, that Grugni in particular uh, may have sussed things out because of his connection with manipulating the winds of magic um, through Runecraft. Though, funny enough, uh, he is not credited as the ancestor god of Runecraft. His son is uh, uh, Morgrim, uh, which is hilarious. Also, uh, also this... Yeah, also, it is funny to point out, because I know this has come up in a lot of streams, and people ask me about it, and I just wanted to point out that it is, there's, it's not anyone's fault, it's not CA's fault, it's just a goof, that, oh, uh, that's lovely. Yeah, Platinum Killer, that's wonderful. So uh, I used to do almost exactly the same thing, just as a small aside, when my uh, eldest, who's now at university, was tiny, <laughs> I used to um, uh, put her on my knee and bounce her up and down inside a little Moses basket um, and watch content. So yeah, I'm with you there. It's a good way of doing it. Anyway, yeah, th thank you thank very you much, so much, by the way. Yeah, thank you. I hope you all are having a wonderful Sunday. Me too. Uh, but um, uh, so, uh, man, I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> That was wonderful. What was it? Chaos has arrived. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. So chaos showed up. And what's interesting. Oh, that's right. I wanted to point out uh, just because a lot of people asked about this. And I just wanted to address it while we're talking about dwarfs. Uh, technically, um, there are people that go, wait, why do they say Clan Morgrim and Total War? I thought, uh, according to like the wiki, that Smendir is the uh, dwarf god of runesmiths. And technically, you're both correct and you're both wrong because um, the answer has changed. If yeah. you go back, if you go back to Stone and Steel, the first edition uh, Warhammer Fantasy roleplay dwarf book, it says that Smednir 
is the dwarf god of runesmiths and that Morgrim is the dwarf god of engineers. However, if you look in the later army books, including, uh, I want to say like 6th, 7th, and 8th edition, or at least 7th and 8th edition, it they flipped it and Morgrim is the uh, ancestor god of runesmiths and Smednir is the ancestor god of engineers. Uh, so I mean, it's, someone goofed somewhere and they they swapped it. Uh, yeah, and in this case, it almost certainly was just somebody doing a misreading because this often occurs at some point or another as someone's penning something and they flip things by mistake. I'll also want to, I just want to add one little detail because it's be really important to where we're going because after the gigantic dragon of hell was killed, um, there was a single act that is going to define some later aspects of what slayers will do that was committed. And that's that in his awesomeness, Grimner picks up the claws of this ridiculous dragon and scars himself tip to toe. Worth go, noting, yeah, those because um, this will become something. No, not the tattoos, the scarring. The tattoos come a little bit later. Oh, um, the scarring in particular um, is something that will come up later when we discuss dragon slayers because the slayers still do this. There you go. All right, so chaos shows up uh the dwarves had a little bit of warning but not much and basically the only thing that grugni said because grugni is grugni's kind of the overall patriarch um of the dwarves though i would actually argue when you look at enough sources valea probably had the most political power um yeah. though she also seems to use it much less frequently um and but granted when hell's literally spilling out everywhere going looking to grugni and saying what are we doing was probably a reasonable uh, thing and Grungy says, Everyone come home, everyone come back to the holds. Uh, and we're going to uh prepare for defense. Um, however, for a lot of the early holds, this did not work out. Um, a lot of people don't realize that most of the early Katazan Corps was completely obliterated. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was wiped out. Kugoth Plague Father was the big bad for them. Uh, and this actually leads into why he hates dwarfs later because he ends up failing. But, um, like with the elves, it was not a very it was not immediate, this took hundreds of years. And yeah. amidst this, Grimnir would lead throngs out from whatever hold he was at, and he would absolutely bitch slap demon armies, but like Anarian, he could not be everywhere at once. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the important moments that happens with him that we will talk about a little bit later is that he does meet with Kaldor Dragon Tamer um, in the later Lord. They meet upon the shores um, near, I want to say they meet on like the shores of the Black Gulf or something like that. Um, and the two of them team up against an army of beastmen. I feel very bad for that army of beastmen because Kalnor <laughs> and Grimnir, there's literally nothing they could have done. Um, <laughs> like, apparently it was su such a large war herd. It was like from one end of the horizon to the other, and they were grossly outmatched. Um, and Kaldor and Grimnir have a conversation where, uh, because Cal the elves see the dwarves fighting and are like, oh, they're fighting beastmen. We don't like beastmen, so let's help them. And uh, funny enough, Grimnir does not actually really appreciate this help at first. Um, he see, His pride seems to be a little wounded uh, about these random elves showing up and assuming they needed help, uh, which it will be important later. And But the two of them do exchange some nice words, because say what you want about Kaldor, he was actually an excellent diplomat. Um, so uh, he manages to have a good conversation with Grimnir, despite the fact that Grimnir is not considered a very good diplomat from what lore we have. And they exchange gifts. And we know this actually did happen because the elves gave a very particular fancy stone, uh, like a like a ruby on steroids, to the dwarves. <laughs> and to this day, it sits in uh, Karazakarak. Karazakarak, yeah. But uh, so what ha what happened during this conversation that was pivotal, though, 
is that the two of them exchanged some really key pieces of information, which is that Grimnir knew everything was coming from the north uh, because the hordes of chaos had come down on them. And the dwarves were very keenly aware of how they had lost territory with the forces of chaos very specifically coming from the north. Whereas the elves of Ulthuan did not necessarily have that luxury being on an island. Um, their relationship dealing with the demons was far more unique and dynamic. Uh, plus the Anuli Mountains were drenched in chaos and were practically portals themselves. Um, the very peaks of them to this day, they still kind of operate like that, um, which is very scary. But um, when things get bad, I should say. But uh, uh, Kaldor uh, learns, that's what Kaldor learned from Grimnir. And what Grimnir learned from Kaldor was Kaldor was actually exploring the world because he had learned about the gates. And Kaldor was setting up his Waystone network um, that would draw all the winds of magic to Ulthuan. And so... Thanks, Hammond. <laughs> thank you, Hammond. <laughs> Stone. But... Um, so what's very interesting is that from Kaldor, Grimnir learns there's a gate. So there is a singular place, according to what the elf says, where the forces of chaos are spilling out. And Grimnir, being Grimnir, and a dwarf looks at that and goes, I bet I can shut it. <laughs> I bet I can march up there and close right. it myself. I'm going to interrupt and add, I think that there is something that is heavily suggested here, but hmm. is never outright stated. So I'm going to add a little um, potential extra here because at some point there is going to be a difference between Grimner and his son who also comes with him because Grimner swears an oath that he's going to stop this. Um, he takes it personally, massively personally, to the point that all slayers that are to come later now emulate this particular deed. Such was his shame at seeing whatever it is that was revealed to him that he decides that it is almost pretty much his own fault that this has occurred. Um, and the slayers to come, when they swear the oath of the slayer, are basically swearing the oath of Grimner. They are doing the same thing that Grimner did. They are emulating their ancestor. This is where he tattoos himself. The uh, runes of Grimner are put all over his skin. We know this occurs. We know that he then goes north and the last final steps of um, Grimner's path, so to speak. So after being the dragon slayer, moving off to being the demon slayer. The, uh, you could argue the top ranks, if you will, mm. of the uh, slayers. He then heads off north to effectively move towards either his end or the closure of the gates. One or the other. But the, th the the bit that's hinted at, but never explicitly stated, is that he feels that this is 100% his fault. Yeah. That he is somehow responsible. He takes it massively, personally, like only a dwarf can. Yeah, and there is two less interesting points about Grimnir before we're going to kind of leave him to a different discussion and move on to the actual Slayers. Which is that uh, the first is that Grimnir's stubbornness is incredibly legendary. Mm -hmm. And when he declared that oath, he did it against everybody else's wishes and reason. Um, when Grimnir originally makes the oath, Grugni is furious with him. Uh, yep. Because Grugni knows what it means. Like, Valea begs him not to do it. And uh, Valea, once again, incredibly powerful individual um like socially and politically within the dwarf culture and she is also like very strongly like she has children with both grimnir and grugni 
Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a romantic relationship there as well. And she begs him not to go, but he takes this so seriously and so personally that he casts off um, the advice of his dearest friend being Grimnir and his lover being Valea. And he tells them, no, I have to do this. I have to go. And he makes this oath and him and Grugni essentially die angry at each other, um, which is very sad when you consider their prior relationship to that point and something that i actually think H of sigmar does a fantastic job referencing later but um they they like separate on not speaking terms because grugni felt and grugni accused him of being selfish and saying that you're putting your personal feelings and your personal pride above what's best for our people you can almost hear the echoes of the oath of the slayer right here because that's exactly what you should be listening to. The very nature of what becomes the Slayers, how the rest of the Dwarven society views Slayers, is being discussed right now between their ancestor gods. The great shame that is clearly felt by Grimnir, he must do this, no matter how much positive he could bring to Dwarven society by not doing this. He is exceptional. He should know better, but his pride does not allow it. His shame does not allow it. And the rest of the dwarves cannot accept this and do not accept this and in some respects shun them completely. There is only one Hmm. thing that will allow him to possibly regain his honour and that is to fulfil the oath he sweared. But the oath he has sweared is impossible. It's to close the gate. It can't be done. Especially not by himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, Cole, so Cole, this is actually a really interesting thing that we'll talk about quite a bit later, but I'll, I'll give a sort of answer to it now, which is the so the Infernal Guard of the Chaos Dwarfs are very similar in that they're basically Chaos Dwarf uh, Slayer equivalents in that they are Chaos Dwarfs who have either failed at a mission or have been shamed in some way where they are declared politically and culturally dead and they put on a mask and they go serve at the, the Black Fortress and if their service is good enough, um, they can earn the ability to re-earn, re-earn their honor and get to rip off the mask and either take back their old name or take a new name and be welcomed back in Chaos Dwarf society. But that is not possible for Slayers. It's I'm, not. I, I'm going to give an alternative view later where I say that there is a possibility that you could allow you to do it, but you'll see how impossible <laughs> it is when I say it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, you ask, why do oh, oh. the Infernal Guard get to do it, but the Slayers oh. don't? And uh, I would say the big, the big answer there is potentially, I would say two things. One is that the Chaos Dwarves, I think, uh, whether they admit it or not, are far more practically aware of the fact that there are very, very few of them. Um, there is a single city of Chaos Dwarfs uh, and then some outposts and fortresses. And whether they like to admit it or not, they may be aware of the fact they can't really afford to have people that go out and die like that. But the more important one, uh, from a lore standpoint, the far more important one, they're not emulating Grimnir. Yeah. It's yeah. not about it's Grimnir. Yeah, it's a completely yeah. different thing. I'd say if you want to sum this up into a really short answer, it is they're doing something different. And whilst, of course, it has similarities because the species as a whole uh, works through its... I'd say the only way that you can truly understand dwarfs and their psychology and how it applies here is to really go beyond human psychology and accept that you have to be someone with some deep neural divergences to come even close to how dwarves approach everything, 
all dwarves approach everything. So the answer is they've got a similar mindset, but they're resolving different problems in a similar way, but has different outcomes. Yeah. And I would also say that Hashit encourages a very different kind of greed and pride in the chaos force oh, that yes. dwarves have <laughs> in the sense that they value themselves significantly more than dwarves do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in that with a dwarf, if they go through an unspeakable shame, it's not, oh, shit, how do I recover from this no matter what? Instead, it's how could I have let this happen? I don't deserve to be here anymore. And all I could do is try and un- like remove this shame from my ancestors and from my kin. It's not about me, even though it kind of is about them. But it's 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 a bit of a paradoxical thing. But we'll get into that. So hopefully that's enough of an explanation. We'll talk more about it later. Um. So the last thing about Grimnir uh, that I think is worth pulling up is that with Andy Hull's thing about how Grimnir blames himself, the last nugget I want to leave y'all with with Grimnir, which is really worth chewing on, is that what's revealed much, much later, um, kind of around the end times, is that Grimnir did not go north to the big chaos gate. He went to a different chaos gate that nobody else knew about, which is one that is in a dwarf hold. Mm -hmm. It is in the absolute depths of a dwarf hold so what happened there (laughs) no see this is the big one and the one i was sort of holding off on as well um largely because it actually deals with end times material and we all know that end times material gets heavily retconned as they move into the age of sigmar according to what the needs of age of sigmar are but cut a long story short what grimnir actually does isn't what all dwarfs believe he does because he doesn't go up and waste his life arguably at the northern chaos gate instead he goes down into the depths of one of the dwarven holds a dwarven hold that he himself is almost certainly tied to and there is a chaos gate there and he holds it himself eternally fighting demons with only what one of his axes, too. <laughs> With just a single axe. Yeah, what a he guy. Does, he does give one of his axes to his son and tells him to go home. <laughs> and and it is worth noting that Grimnir was absolutely right. Um, Grimnir, in some ways, he should have stayed. Because the second Grimnir left, the dwarves basically lose all of their holds, except for like two of them. Which is yeah. basically Karasakarak and Karakate Peaks. Every other hold falls. And the only reason Karazakarak survives is because they literally set a mountain up to triggers. And when Kugoth Plaguefather invades with his army, they drop an actual fucking mountain on him um, and basically seal themselves away. The dwarves okay. dig down deep and they seal the holds and they don't come out until it's over because without Grimnir, they could not win. Um, we can't stress how important Grimnir was to the dwarfs as a whole. There's a reason that he's worshipped as an ancestor god in so many ways. I uh, also want to say super thanks for that one, Marcus. I read The Road of Skulls for the first time. Love just how silly the dwarf oaths can be <laughs> where they contradict each other. Indeed, we're going to be discussing... Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going we're gonna to be getting into some stuff. Quite a bit rather soon because it's directly appropriate for the Slayers. Yes. Uh, thank you very that, much. Very generous Marcus. super chat, too. Thank you very much. That All right. So... Generous. That takes us with the end of Grimnir. Andy, is there anything you want to add on Grimnir before we pop into dwarfs themselves? Um, um, I, I think in terms of the Slayer story, I'd say there's only a couple of extras that I would say. At this point, we have got our first actual Slayer. 
So this is not someone who calls himself a slayer per se, but this is someone who is the epitome of dwarf killing, who has sworn an oath in shame that effectively brings his life to an end as far as the rest of all dwarven society is concerned. Two other important events, Grimnir wields axes, that much is certain, two of them normally, but it drops down to one when he passes one off to his son. Another one, he covers himself in tattoos, in particular the tattoos of Grimner themselves, which are also, as they're detailed later, tattoos that are warding tattoos. These are tattoos that can hold off damage, and he ditches all of his armor. Indeed, all of the things that he deems to be related to his honor, related to his clan, related to his family, related to his relationships, he ditches all of it. The only thing he takes is his weapon. Everything else is discarded, and he piles off north, although as we learn far, far later, not quite as north as everyone thought he was going. He pitches off north as the first true slayer, and his life up to this point is going to be the life that all slayers will then emulate. Yes, uh, and I do see a question in chat that I do want to kind of give y'all a cheeky answer to, which is where where is that chaos game? Where did he go? So, in the end times, um, the answer is not as good as I would have liked, which is that it's literally flying way up in the atmosphere. Like it's like flying city um, of dwarfs who are just completely disconnected from the rest of the world, which is a little silly. Um, Andy has a different answer to it, which is very cool. And I'm not going to tell you where it is. Uh, you got to go watch Lawhammer. It will be going to be in Lawhammer. I, I mean, I mean, for my players are watching. No, it's not going to be in Lawhammer. <laughs> oh, that's not happening. You're not Definitely allowed to. You're not. not allowed to watch these streams. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah, go, go on, get out of here. Get the heads. <laughs> yeah. So if if you want to know where it is, you'll have to watch. Um, um, this is um through a uh, loosely through a discussion that I had with the people who are behind it, and I was like, yeah, that's what it should be. So that's why I've chosen that for my game. Yeah, uh, and uh, that's all we're going to give you on that. Yep. Anyway, uh, so slayers proper actual dwarf slayers uh i'm going to give what i'm going to lovingly refer to as the basic bitch version and then we're going to let andy kind of run with it uh so um the there is a lot of common misconceptions about slayers yeah there um is. a lot and it's because a lot of people kind of look at them from a surface level because slayers are very iconic they're very eye-catching being these half-naked dwarf warriors with big mo red mohawks and crazy weapons and they're almost always fighting some of the most awesome battles and biggest baddest monsters or whatever um they but, are fucking awesome dwarf punks yes they I are mean, very very cool i mean what else can you say they're freaking awesome you can see where they came from because they were originally obviously created back in the 80s and their <laughs> reflections in many respects of british culture at the time but put in dwarf and um clothing so to speak and mm -hmm. dropped right in the very front cover of warhammer fantasy roleplay first edition and every warhammer fantasy roleplay core book from that point forwards because they were so iconic and also spoke to what that game was representing in many respects so well, yeah, every anyway pass yeah, every, over. every warhammer video game too Almost yeah, all of them much. have players in the promotional so footage. Iconically, Warhammer. So much so that uh, pretty much every other, let's say, generic miniatures company generally try to make themselves some Mohawk dwarves because, you know, everybody <laughs> wants them because they're so freaking awesome. But anyway, yes, basic bitch version. Go for it. Yeah. So, uh, and yeah, for people asking about Kataka Dream, we will get there. We're not there yet. Oh, we will. Uh, so, uh, the basic thing you need to know the very, very basics about Slayers is that. 
there are dwarfs have a culture that takes honor very very seriously they they have a lot of pride that they don't like to admit that they have um and they're incredibly stubborn they do not like to admit when they were wrong and they do not like to go back on anything even if going back on it would by far be the more tactical and wise decision yeah, I'd go slightly further and say, don't think of this in human terms, because the easiest thing to do is think of them like, oh, my my granddad, who's super stubborn. No, they're yeah. all like this. Every single last one. It's their baseline psychology. It's where they start from. Now, obviously, you've got some who are even more proud and some that are a little bit less proud than the standard. But their standard is at the basics, the most stubborn person you've ever met. Yeah, and that that is the most core thing about Warhammer that we always try and get across pretty much every stream is that mm -hmm. humans are humans, nothing else is. <laughs> um, honestly, you know what the closest thing to other humans are in Warhammer Fantasy is Beastmen. <laughs> they are probably the most closely related. In fact, I'll go further and say that they are almost a race of humans in that they can interbreed. Um, so they yeah. are quite literally the closest things to humans in the Warhammer world. Yeah, but yeah. like dwarves and elves, they're very alien to us. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of people try and make them fit in a human bubble, and you're robbing them of a lot of their understanding if you um, do that. So in any event, uh, slayers are functionally, at the very, very base level, they're dwarves to which some very, very bad thing has happened. It can either be a terrible tragedy. It can be uh, they made a colossal fuck up. It could be that uh, they are suffering from some sort of awful defeat or pain or it's 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 a very broad system. It's not as simple as, oh, they simply had one bad day, jo insert Joker meme, or they or they just like got shamed. Uh, it can be a lot. Um, a lot of the times, a lot of the times it's not actually shame that does it. That does happen sometimes. A lot of time it's tragedy that yeah. leads to it. It's grief. Um, but uh, in any event, there are different classifications of slayers and it's a very simple system to funny enough of that. Basically when you're a slayer, you are a slayer. And then whatever the biggest, baddest thing you kill is, or the most difficult thing you kill is that is like kind of recognized, you go up in rank, um, so to speak, uh, where you, <laughs> yeah, where the, the very broad and kind of very well accepted ranks are your troll slayers, which are your basic slayers. You kill a troll, uh, which is honestly insane that for them, it's the basic level is a fucking troll, uh, because trolls are horribly hard to kill creatures and are they exceedingly are. they literally vomit acid that can eat armor and your flesh he's like they vomit that very casually and they can regenerate from literally anything as long as it's not fire um so like they're a bitch to deal with and that's the basic tier uh mm. then you have your giant slayers uh which once again giant big leap up there <laughs> uh you have giant slayers and then your specialist ranks are your dragon slayers and then above dragon slayers are your demon slayers. Um, there are some other exotic ranks. Uh, probably the most well-known are the doom seekers, which doom seekers are a very awesome form of slayers that have these big chain flails that they fling around themselves. And they are slayers that have committed to dying against endless hordes of enemies instead of trying to seek out one particularly nasty, large opponent, yeah. uh, which is awesome. And we need those total war, please CA. Uh, but uh, so that is a th that's the very broad little categories of them. 
Um, and for each category, there are significantly less of them because in order to achieve that rank, you have to kill something that's considered that equivalent. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd make a small ad here as well that obviously these ranks were initially um, put in place for two reasons. One, to split them up easily for the role-play game to begin with, Troll Slayers and Giant Slayers. It made it very easy to make a career progression. And for the battle game, again, so we had our easy champion hero lord model, our champion being mm. the giant slayer obviously our hero being our dragon slayer and our lord being the demon slayer right at the very top um but that got wrapped back into the lore and also into some of the stories that they added to grimner at various points so grimner becoming the giant slayer becoming the dragon slayer becoming eventually the demon slayer at the end of his career and that has reflected back on grimner and in turn it reflects back to the slayers and the story of them and why they take on the world the way that they do so i think now is a very good time to open the floor for andy and kind of say andy yes are dwarves just suicidal warriors who are looking to die as quickly as possible because that'll magically give them their honor back no oh my god <laughs> right so this is the issue that i have confronted most with writings that have come to me with i've got a tap tap your mic it didn't it didn't it didn't appreciate it really didn't appreciate (laughs) okay you're good now my good now yes i broke my mic in my anger um (laughs) which uh, i also yeah your your camera camera got yeah everything's your computer's like ah (laughs) (laughs) right so let's um let's make it clear here the dwarf in question has suffered something that has injured them so deeply so personally that they can no longer as far as they're concerned consider themselves a dwarf in the same way that the rest of their peers can they are so massively injured that they think that their honor has been cast aside now honor to a dwarf is everything it's almost as much as important as food as air as their existing selves they need it they function from it so the loss of honor is something that is so fundamental to the dwarf that they no longer can continue the way that they did and they swear the oath of the slayer now to swear this oath is massive it's it's an enormous decision this is something that many dwarfs may spend weeks months contemplating as they realize that whatever it is that has caused their great injury is no longer capable of being lived with they cannot continue on the way that they did because to swear this oath is to turn their back on all dwarf society is to become itinerant is to leave the holds is to turn your back on everything that was important you cast aside your name your name no longer matters many dwarf slayers take on new names so Mm -hmm. they can't be recognized for who they were often they'll keep their um, parentage if that parentage is somehow related to why they swore their oath so you might get like a daughter or a son or some equivalent still being mentioned go trek Gurnison, for example. Um, And if it's important to why they swore the oath, they may keep it, but it's quite possible that the name they take on will be different. Now, here's a few things that I will immediately say. Number one, does that mean that Slayers no longer have a personal sense of honor? Quite the opposite. The reason they swore Mm. the oath is because their honor has been so massively infracted and they can't live with that anymore. If anything, they're some of the most honorable dwarfs in their own interpretations of themselves because they stick so hard to this oath. 
They will not turn back on it ever. That's it. They're done for the rest of their life. Does this mean they're suicidal? Some of them, yes, they might be. But their oath stops them from committing suicide. That's one of the reasons that some of them will swear the oath. Because they want to ensure that their death is meaningful. Their yeah. death matters. Their death will have an impact that betters dwarf society as a whole. Grimner, who swore his oath, said he would close that gate. And away he went. And he attempted to do so. And as we find out later, in fact, in many respects, did. Because he stood in it. And didn't let anything through. So... Are they suicidal? No. Are they honorless? No. Are they looking to kill themselves? No. They're looking to reclaim their honor. And the only way they can reclaim their honor is to die doing something of extraordinary significance in battle because they are reflecting Grimner. They are walking in Grimner's steps. And many slayers, yes, they might die quick because they're just not warriors, but they will train because they do not want their lives to be sold anything more than very dearly. It will cost the enemies of the dwarves. They will train and they will train and they will train. And to begin with, they don't just throw themselves at the biggest, nastiest thing they could find. If that was the case, no slayer would survive. They'd all just file hmm. down some cave where they know there's something terrible. They just go down there and die. They don't do that. They throw themselves in a stepped fashion at enemies that make a difference great enemies to the dwarves trolls for example hated by many a dwarf um, oh, yeah. they are a significant step plus it's part of the great saga of grimner himself and they are attempting to replicate that through their deeds grimner lost his honor because of whatever happened with that chaos gate in the same way they lost their honor because of whatever happened to them and they will sell their life as dearly as possible now they hmm. will be heroic they will sometimes retreat because yeah. whatever is ahead of them, they know they can't kill. If they can't kill it, then there is no point in staying because their life will not be sold dearly. It will mean nothing to die against the horde unless it matters holding it back. Then it matters. Then they can hold that pass by themselves and selling their life at this point will reclaim their honor. And this is when they get entered back into all of the great sagas, the stories, the holds, their family's honor has been reclaimed. Their name has been reclaimed. But the entirety of the time that they were out of it is not recorded. That's it. It's come hmm. to an end. Whatever happened when Grimner swore his oath, uh, he's largely gone now. He just disappears. You don't really know what he did after that. And as it turns out, all the stories were wrong. And somewhat similarly, the Slayers cannot ever reclaim their uh, honor until they die, but they will not just kill themselves. Ever. Yeah. And uh, Hammond, I would actually say this is a goofy comment. I, I don't think Napoleon was short enough to be considered a dwarf, but uh, <laughs> um, if, if if he had committed seppuku, as you say, he wouldn't have been a slayer. That, that, yeah, that exactly. would disqualify you. Um, that would not be the way a slayer would die. Uh, that would not be at all a way a slayer would die. A slayer would be appalled to think of another slayer doing that. They, they would have nothing but. Uh, it's not even. It goes well beyond disrespect, and it goes. It's not even hatred because they are dishonorable to do such a thing. It would be the worst option. Dwarves don't take those routes because they have a different psyche to humans. Um, but there's also a massive issue with this. To swear the oath of the Slayer is to be completely out with the dwarves in society and the rest of the dwarves spit upon. 
Yeah, uh, a lot of people think that uh, becoming a slayer is like just kind of like, oh, like how do dwarves manage to survive if so many of them are becoming slayers? It's like that's not it's not the go to method a lot of the time. because It's taboo. Becoming a slayer is a genuine taboo. Yeah. Um, it is not something you're supposed to do. It is not something that is recommended. And like there's a, a lot of people think that Karakadrin is called the Slayer Hole just because like, oh, they have a lot of slayers. The thing that makes Karakadrin such a big deal is that they welcome slayers. Yeah, of that is. of the entirety of the Karazankor, if you are a slayer, you are not welcome in any hold except for uh, um, Karakadrin unless there is like a really important reason for you to be there. I'll I'll go a little bit further because there's some examples where dwarves are going back to holds and they're doing stuff. It's not that they're not welcome. In fact, no, it's exactly they're not welcome. Um, But that doesn't mean they don't turn up. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) you won't. It's not that they're like, you can't come in. They're just going to ignore you or or spit on you. You are not welcomed. You're dead. You're a ghost. Exactly. Um, they, they spit on you. They have nothing but disrespect for the owner, the choice that you've made, because it also means that you have done something terrible and you think it's so terrible you have to do this. In some respects, what they're doing is they are honoring the Slayer and that Slayer's choice to make that oath, because mm. they are saying, "I, you've made that oath, then I will spit in you like you spit on yourself. In many respects, it's not done with any great anger. It's not that they're sitting there going, fucking slayers, I hate them. It's much more, he's a slayer, he must be disrespected because he disrespects himself, because she has taken this oath, because they are no longer, uh, as far as they're concerned, part of our society. We respect the oath that they have taken, and because we respect that oath, we will treat them fucking terribly, because they want Mm. to be treated badly but we yeah. have a couple comments from yeah which I, I real quick i do want to say that's such a good point of like why you don't see slayers getting upset about it like yeah. you don't see slayers like starting fights with other dwarfs about treating them bad they just go no this is like that's something that's so well explored when you have a good writer like uh a lot of gotrek felix series when gotrek is treated poorly by other dwarfs and felix goes that's awful they shouldn't do that he goes no that's the way it's supposed to be they're mm-hmm. doing it correctly. From a human perspective, we go, that's fucking awful. Dude's already down. Quit kicking him. But the dwarves say, no, that is, it is right that I kick him because he is down. So um, nice little comment there. It's interesting that the only way to regain their honor is to give their lives bettering dwarf society, like found a non-profit or orphans, my dude. Well, that would be, <laughs> for some, I, as ridiculous as that is yeah. as a comment and funny, actually that's fair. For some dwarves who feel that a great shame has come, they will do that. They'll swear different oaths. The oath of the Slayer is the last choice. It's when you consider yourself completely without honor because of something that you have allowed to occur. And because of that, you are the lowest of the low circumstance you're in. Your actual heart is broken. You swear this oath to that you can finally do something to reclaim it. And all other dwarves both respect that oath in the same way that Grimner made a similar oath, presumably. And the other dwarves, for all they may have disagreed, respected it. But... Because they respect it, they will treat you just as shittily as you treat yourself. Yeah, I think a really good point to add on to what Andy just said is that a lot of people, once again, a lot of people, and I think this is because some bad writers oops, mm. have done this, uh, they think that if anything happens bad to a dwarf, a dwarf gets up and he ste- steps on a Lego in the morning, he goes, fuck it, I'm a slayer now. Um, but no, becoming a slayer is the ultimate last resort that there's no going back from. That you have to think of it like, uh, imagine like something genuinely terrible happens to a dwarf of like, 
Uh, a dwarf has an ancestral shield. It's been passed down for thousands of years, hundreds, like hundreds of generations, and it gets stolen by a fucking goblin. Like a groby steals his shield. He's not going to become a slayer. He's going to swear an oath that I'm going to track down that goblin. I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to take my shield back. That, but it's quite possible at the end of it, such as his shame that it was stolen, he then swears the oath of the slayer. Yeah. Having already reclaimed that which was lost because he's done what he should do. Um, yeah. And, and that and, might come after a decade or two because that shame, that loss of pride builds up within them until they just can't take it anymore. And then some one day he just walks off and everyone's like, holy shit. Yeah. Wow. And, it, and it'll come down to personal preference. There are dwarves who have appeared in the lore who they're too scared to become slayers and they won't like even though something terrible has happened they refuse to take the slayer oath and they'll just either leave and go start a life somewhere else or become a wanderer or or they'll try and find some other way um there's actually a really fascinating uh, something that i wish was explored more of there's a lot of legalese essentially in dwarf culture of mm. navigating oaths and packs and grudges and all this stuff and there is a really interesting thing to be said of that grudge lore among the Dawi technically allows for a system of righting wrongs that have been done to you without becoming a slayer. Absolutely. Um, which kind of also adds a level to why many dwarfs are very insulted by the concept of slayers, because it kind of implies that there's no grudge that can be achieved that will you know, equal out the shame you've been dealt, which a lot of dwarves are profoundly uncomfortable with as a concept. Yeah. Um, many dwarves very strongly feel that grudges are like the ultimate system and that if a grudge is properly avenged, then the matter is settled. But slayers kind of offer up this idea that no, there are some grudges that can never be amended. They can never be forgiven. Which... Got to remember that the um, entire system of dwarven society that we understand it largely came from Valea um, and the great hmm. marshalling of dwarven society. Um, and there is a reason that Valea stood against Grimner and said, "No, you should not do this." And in a similar, and then to balance that, there's a reason that Grimner went, "No, I have to." And that is one of the fundamental balances that lie at the heart of the Slayers, the balance between two different ancestor gods and their different views for how the world itself should be interacted with. Um, one thing that I think is worth making very clear at this point before we go to our little biofoot comment, yeah, yeah, yeah. by the way, um, is that this is actual religion. Don't mm. this is the cult yeah, of the Slayer, Slayer cult. Okay, yeah. this is the equivalent of a dwarf priest. Now, I know that that sounds a bit alien to those of us who are often think of our proselytizing equivalents, but these are effectively dwarf priests in many respects. They are representatives of the cult of the Slayer, who is effectively a representative of the ancestor god, Grimner himself. And they are special in a variety of ways because of this. There are all manner of special rules that they can pull out, and that's because you would agree they're no longer following the same roots that others are, but there's a reason for that. The oath. Oaths are important to dwarves. If you swear a deep and fundamental oath, that has an effect in dwarf society. Yeah. Simple words. Yeah, and uh, uh, Biofoot, Grimnir and Valea were present in the mortal realms after all, so where was Grugni? I assume you're kind of referring to end-time shenanigans, where, like, Valea is found sleeping in a, like, special ancestor god tomb. Uh, where she's alive but she's just kind of like in a coma or whatever and grimnir of course is fighting in the realms of chaos um grugni does not physically appear but that doesn't mean he's not around and he's not busy um being being a god is hard work 
um, and also, also takes very many different forms. And also, you have to remember, the entire world is at war. Uh, he could have been anywhere. Um, in yeah. the in the end times, uh, or sorry, in Age of Sigmar, which has been doing a lot of fixing on the end times, Grugni flat out talks about his time during the end times, and he reveals he was there. He was present. Um, but he was doing other things. Um, he was he was busy. Uh, but uh, it actually, there's a very important thing about how the end times affected Grugni, but that's a topic for another time. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're doing the Slayers just now. I also want to just pull out one because um, I want to make this as clear as I possibly freaking can. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Honor has nothing to do with being male. Honor is personal. Now, are there a lot fewer female dwarves? Yes, there are. Yeah. And do they have important hmm. parts of society to deal with? So their own personal honor will make balancing choices yes but can they decide that their honor is completely lost that they themselves have collapsed within for whatever reason and that they must swear that oath yes yeah and what's what's interesting about female slayers is because it because it's rare just because there's less of them and they have a very important role that they take very seriously a female dwarf becoming a slayer could be a fucking huge event Uh, and it if if a female dwarf is becoming a slayer, I would bet a significant amount of money she's not alone. There's probably going to be many other dwarfs that are going to become slayers because she becomes a slayer. I actually wrote about this when I was dealing with um, one of the pieces that received me about dwarves, um, and they were discussing slayers, and I passed back that very point, that the swearing of a slayer oath can actually cascade. There's a possibility that that great shame is going to be enough that others that look towards this dwarf in a position of authority or alternatively as someone to be respected, for one reason or other, they'll look to that and say, no, their shame is my shame. I have allowed this to occur. And they will also swear the Slayer Oath. The Slayer Oath can sometimes happen with groups, not just individuals, although it is a fundamentally personal choice always. It's not somewhat something that anyone would ever say. I think you should be doing that. That's not what dwarfs do. They're not going to be going, you should be swearing the swear oath. Unless, of course, they're making some sort of bad point that is deeply apolitical and not, uh, not a wise choice. But broadly speaking, not the sort of things that they should be doing. Yeah, and I also want to touch on this. Uh, yes, that is actually a very critical career within every dwarf hold. Are grudge. They're not called grudgelers. There are other terms for them. But a dwarf whose job it is to navigate grudges or to create grudges, like how do you determine what a grudge is? That is a critical job of most kings and lords and thanes. Uh, But there are dwarves whose lives literally revolve around grudges and understanding them. Yeah, they're Um, part of the dwarven holds. um, And think of them the equivalent of dwarf lawyers. Yeah, there's even there's even there's even grudge bounty hunters. Uh, They're called grudge settlers. They're very cool characters. Uh, But anyway, awesome. Yeah, Yeah, I really love them as an idea. Yeah. Back to the Slayers. <laughs> so um, the, the other thing uh, that's also worth talking about uh, for understanding why Slayers can be so critical is a, a lot of what we've talked about so far are the very physical, mundane aspects of shame and tragedy and dwarfs dealing with all these things. The other thing that has to be talked about is that dwarfs very, very strongly. Honor is so critical to dwarfs that they believe it reverberates into the very afterlife itself. Where if if you are dishonored, you don't get to go to essentially dwarf heaven. You get instead sent to more of a purgatory, um, which is actually like more of a hell. 
Um, not in the sense that you're being tortured, but in the sense that you're just alone out in nothingness forever. Um, and many dwarves even have another layer to it where they believe that if they are shamed, it can shame their entire clan or their kin. So their ancestors who yeah, have... there's a reason for that as well. Um, I'm going to call out that one specifically. Um, sorry to interrupt. No, go um, ahead. Uh, because if a dwarf slayer dies in a fashion that does not match the oath, then that that grudge, so to speak, that oath in particular is not settled which means that in particular, as we'll move on to with the Slayer Kings, oaths can transfer down the generations. Because if uh, somebody, for example, dies in a rock slide and they've got the good old orange crest in place, they're supposed to die in battle. But if they die in a rock slide, their oath is not settled. And often that will then pass down the bloodline. Yeah. So your kin, your family, who you love more than life itself and family is is like literally one of the like core three tenants to dwarf society is mm -hmm. like honor grudges family uh, <laughs> and uh if you screw up a slayer oath um your entire your family in the afterlife could suffer yeah yeah they will expect there is an expectation if that is to occur um amongst the clan that you are a part of for someone else to take up that oath because it is not resolved and now, obviously, in the greater scheme of things, many an oath will go unresolved and no one will find out about it because that's just the nature of the world because they yeah. are itinerant, they are loners, they have abandoned their holds. And it is quite possible, though, that, say, 500 years later, a story is unearthed of a slayer who was not killed in battle and they will then find the necessary family, clan that is related to it and say, there is an oath here that must be resolved. And they will take it because that's just what you should do. Yeah. Just like to say a big thanks there to you, Sam. You yeah, rock. Thank you, Sam. Um, so, back to uh, kind of discussing Slayers at large. Of um, Some of the really interesting facets about them is what's one of the most difficult things, I think, for humans to understand, us as people, to understand about Slayers is how they handle the rule set of what they, and I think it's worth having Andy expand on this a fair bit, what are and aren't they allowed to do as far as going out arming themselves mm -hmm. going out to find to kill without being dishonorable right so first it's really easy let's start off with swearing that oath now that oath has popped up in a couple of different ways according to different writers but cut a long story short it is an oath where you swear that you will like grimner before you die in battle in a fashion that is going to reclaim your honor that doesn't just mean getting your head chopped off by a passing orc that means doing something worthwhile so you've done that, but the oath goes further. You also abandon all your stuff. That goes. You abandon your clan. That goes. So you get rid of all your fancy clothes that you might have. You drop down to just having your good old bare torso. Um, you mark yourself over with the runes of Grimnir. Uh, often the personal rune of Grimnir himself, along with whatever other runes you think are important. There's a variety of different ways that they can pop up. Some of the runes are actual specific warding runes as well that act like armor, which is worth noting, but they only come from very special circumstances. So you've ditched everything. You've got a weapon that's almost certainly an axe because you want to, and I am going to bring you in there, Sam. 
Meanwhile, Malachi is off teaching human students for decades. Ha ha ha! My message. Didn't we we properly. will get to Malachi. Malachi is a very interesting character. We will get to him. I promise. He's awesome. We'll, um, we'll come back to that. <laughs> thank you, thank right, you for the so, super chat. We'll come back to that. So you have, yeah, we will come back to that. So you have ditched all of your previous life. Now, what can you then move on to? So you have got your oath, and that's all that matters. And your oath is to do everything in your power to die in battle, not giving your life, not just letting yourself be killed. You sell your life as dearly as possible because you're emulating Grimnir. You're not just simply going to come up to someone and not fight very well. You're going to fight to the last iota of your strength. A failed slayer is often a word that's brought up, but a failed slayer doesn't really exist because they're all going to die in the end. It's just mm. slayers that have, um, if anything, kept their oath for longer. Can they keep stuff? The answer is many do. Uh, it's very common amongst slayers, for example, to take the jewellery of those that they have slain and to incorporate that into their own personal jewellery. Oh, let me just... Is, is, is Lindsay in chat? The <laughs> uh, slayers walking from their shadow. Actually, the answer to that is yes. Yeah, yeah, they um, do. They do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I love that comment. Yeah, that's funny. Because they do. Um, Indeed, when I'm doing my update for, this is a super quick aside, my update for the dwarves and my rules, um, um, their entire religion is going to be centered around the concept of oaths and what different oaths do. Um, and that is what determines their religion, so to speak. But that's for another day. So, can they take stuff? The answer is yes. But will they keep stuff? The answer is, broadly speaking, no. The only thing they really keep is perhaps jewellery that represents the things that they have taken down. They will also change their crests and their tattoos according to things that they have taken down. There's a fairly common one where if you get a triple crest, that shows... What's the triple crest again? I say it, that means you're hunting demons now. What am I saying? No, that's yes. right at the very top. Um, a single crest means one thing, a double crest means another thing. And again, there's the, that idea that these are either traditions that have built up over time or alternatively, it's what Grimner himself did, which is mm. very possibly the case. So... You can't really keep stuff, uh, but you can spend your money whenever you get it. And they often do on drink because many, uh, many of them are super depressed. They're super sad. Some of them, however, aren't. Yes. Some of them are fine. Some of them have sworn the oath and some of them regret swearing the oath. They're individuals. Some of them continue working jobs that you would never expect. They have got their oath that pretty much defines how they are going to interact with dwarven society, which is we are outside of that and I am heading towards this particular doom. I will fall in battle in the most heroic fashion possible, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to, for example, build some shit to mean that I can do this better or I'm going to evolve myself with another part of society elsewhere that will allow me to get access to one of the best ways to die. For example, if there was a great creature that had been let's say, really making it difficult for my ancestors. I find out that it's in this set of mountains. This set of mountains is related to a particular human duchy. So you go to that duchy, you ingratiate yourself within their uh, particular staff. You start persuading them so you can go down there so that you can take this out and reclaim your honour by killing that thing that killed ancestors beforehand. They are individuals. They will all approach their oaths in different ways. The classic way to do it is to just band up with a bunch of slayers and go to fucking war alongside a great throng because you're almost certain to aid dwarven uh, society as a whole if you are on the front lines of their armies protecting and defending dwarven society. It's an easy ask, but it is not the only ask. 
So yeah, there's all sorts <clears throat> of shit they can do, which makes them fun characters to play. Just remember that they are not necessarily per se suicidal and they are not stupid. That's the big one. Yeah. Well, there might be a few that are stupid, but that's an oh, individual well, yeah. trait. But that's an individual <laughs> trait. <laughs> Good old snoring nosebiter. <laughs> oh, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, red crested skinks are not slayers. <laughs> They're just very angry. They're aggressive. Um, oh my gosh. Like, that made me laugh. I, no, funny enough, though, I do think if a dwarf saw a red crested skink next to regular skinks, he might assume some weird things. But. If you want to know more about the Red Crested Strengths, make sure you check um, out our previous stream about, about Tehenowin when we yeah. go into great depth about the Red Crested Strengths, Skrinks, Skinks, and where they come from. Yeah, so uh, one of the things I think that's really interesting to kind of dive into what Andy was talking about there, as far as like individuals go, is there could be a lot of really fun different expressions of Slayers in the sense that not all, like, there are some Slayers who take an almost lawyer-like approach to the Slayer Oath. Of uh, they go, okay, I have to die in battle. I understand that. I have to die fighting the baddest thing I can. I understand that. It doesn't mean I have to do it right away. Uh, I'm gonna go live my life. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to the empire and I'm gonna go fight creatures and party around it. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna call out something here that I think is often deeply misunderstood. Conflicts between dwarves rarely, if ever, go to battle. Because yep. it's just not how dwarves work. It will sh they'll shout, they'll scream, they'll disagree, they'll swear oaths at each other, they'll throw grudges all over the place. But actual war, that's just it's, it's not really the, it, it's, exactly. It's just yep. not the dwarf way. They are not human. The to kill another dwarf is it's like killing your brother, killing your sister. You just don't do it. If that occurs, it suggests that somehow chaos has infiltrated their mindset and we almost certainly have effectively mutant dwarves in there who are no longer thinking like normal dwarves or they've got chaos cults infiltrated in between them attempting to manipulate affairs but it's exceedingly rare yeah remember what andy said earlier slayers are not dwarves without honor they yeah. are dwarves trying to get honor back in light of a specific event but they have not abandoned the concept of honor they are still honorable dwarfs mm. they would yeah. never can slay Unless I mean, it was like something <laughs> fucking crazy happened. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's as far away from their mindset as you can almost possibly get. I think one of the biggest mistakes, as has been iterated between us several times, is the idea that somehow they are now honorless. No, they are perceived as honorless because their honor has been lost. They are viewed as honorless by other dwarves because they respect the oath that has been sworn. But they themselves, if they had no honor, wouldn't pay attention to their bloody oath in the first place. They would just go, ha, I'm now honorless. Who cares if I see my oath through? They are not honorless. They are probably some of the most honorable dwarves that exist. And such is their shame that they have sworn this and they will treat themselves like the worst dogs because of that yeah but uh but as uh uh we were talking about earlier there are some slayers that take very interesting routes through slayerdom um a great example is malachi mackison uh the <laughs> the legendary uh slayer engineer where Perfect. he actually in some ways he kind of approached being a slayer as a form of freedom and for him it's because he cares far more about being an engineer than anything else. By becoming a slayer, 
he quite literally is exploiting a loophole where he goes, well, I don't care about the engineer's guild. I don't care about having to build only what my ancestors built. I can make whatever weird shit I want because I'm a slayer. Fuck it. Yeah. And I think there's uh, an extra addition here that we should probably gently look into. And that's the concept of the slayer oath as a way to get out. Um, that, I think would be a dismissive tone to take for almost all dwarf society. If you look at, say, good old uh, Malachi... Um, I was getting his name. Um, Maxson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Malachi Maxson. Thank you. Um, and you take the look at the reasons that he so, uh, swore his oath. It's because he himself uh, fundamentally had lost his pride. He, had, he was no longer capable of attempting to emulate the extraordinary feats of the ancestor gods. Um, effectively, if you wish, consider the ancestor gods' time as a point of high technology when the old ones themselves were providing them with possibly the equivalent of proper high sci-fi tech. It's quite likely that the top tier uh, ancestor gods were in a completely different realm to what we have today. And oh, reproducing oh yeah. what came before it's what dwarves do. It's drilled into their psyche, arguably by the old ones. It is a part of them. And he was incapable of doing that. He had lost his dwarfy pride, so to speak. It was an oath that almost certainly for him was deeply considered, long thought out. And no matter how he may present himself, oh, yes, I did this in an almost flippant way to humans in his heart. It tears him apart because he has to pull himself separate because he is driven to keep on building in a new way. Yeah. And what's, and like a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, Malachi, like, although he has found some ways to use his Slayer oath to find his own way of achieving a worthy doom, he's still working his way towards achieving a worthy doom. He's building war engines. He's yep. like, yeah, he's teaching humans, but he's teaching them to I fight heard. better. He's teaching yeah, that fucking goblin hewer. <laughs> this is the goofiest fucking weapon I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> devastating on tabletop though my temple guard got obliterated of uh, it anyway um the 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 thing about malachi is like like if you know a lot of people look at him and they go oh well he's such like he's such a happy slayer it's like he's really not he 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 has a personality that makes him seem that way and sure if you put him next to gotrek gurnison who's one of the surliest slayers in existence sure he seems happy by comparison but um he's he's not at all um, and he did suffer a horrible tragedy leading to him becoming a slayer where he led a bunch of dwarfs up into the chaos wastes with like a kind of a train he invented and it was a complete failure. It went horribly wrong. They were supposed to make it to Kadak Doom and they just didn't. It was and awful. Can, and there you see that his pride, his pride got in the way. He thought he could make something better and he could not. And yep. there lies the doom of the slayer for him and i cannot express enough that all of our slayers no matter how they may present themselves at heart are broken they have done something that they can no longer accept they just can't they're proper broken there's no happy dwarf therapist that's going to lead them through this anymore now i'm not saying that there aren't dwarf therapist equivalents there almost certainly are mm -hmm. in a variety of ways because this the whole point of the grudges the whole point of their whole society um that valea laid out mostly valea laid out for them incorporates their psyche who they are and what they are these are the ones that have moved beyond that 
literally cannot cope anymore. So rather than not coping anymore, they abandon everything so they no longer need to cope. They take on a different mask, so to speak. And yeah, they are proper broken people. Yeah, but uh, there are all sorts of different ways slayers can appear across the world, whether it's like, yeah. there are slayers that are teachers of humanity. Absolutely, because they see that as, by doing this, I am doing what's best for my people. I am doing my, I am setting up a scenario where I will end up claiming a glorious doom. You think Malachi Mackison's not thinking about his doom when he built a fucking airship that allows him to go toe to toe with dragons or to go to the biggest fights in the old world faster than anyone else can get there. He's absolutely thinking about that stuff. You think he's not thinking about, I am, I am throwing my challenge gauntlet into smacking chaos across the face when he builds goblin hewers that are capable of like eradicating hundreds of goblins in a matter of minutes like he has a different expression of it but it's still the same goal it's still the same journey exactly i could not support that whole ethos more the goblin hewer so to speak gets rid of the sprath that might kill you accidentally in the most ignoble fashion those small goblins are not a glorious way to go down in battle going against the great warlords is so the, he's using his capabilities to ensure that the oath will be fulfilled. And I think that if you're, for example, sitting out there going, I like Warmer Fantasy Roleplay and I'm playing a Slayer, what does that mean for me? It means whatever it means for your character. Because ultimately, what is the best way for you to achieve the most? How are you going to do it for the engineer? This particular engineer chose to uh, provide weapons for the rest of his Slayer kin so that they can get a better outcome for their oath and also provide transportation so they can go to the very heart of that trouble plus more. Yeah, Michael, a uh, really interesting comment here of, are there mm. Slayers who have ever tried to back out of the oath if, if this does not make dwarves uh, infallible in this aspect of their character? Um there okay so i will say before i let andy jump into this because i think he's gonna have something really interesting to say of i think there are dwarves who have desperately wanted to <laughs> back out but there is a very uh, first i i do not think there's a dwarf that would ever willingly do so uh at, hold i'm gonna rephrase that i think there i think a dwarf understands that if you were to try and back out of the slayer oath you you could never go home um, being declared a slayer is a ritual that you are legally and culturally dead. You are, you are deceased. There is no, you cannot go home. Um, that is not an option. And the other Kadaks know about it. You can't. And plus they're like, they're not going to let just some random ass slayer walk in or random ass dwarf. They don't know walk in and just be a part of it. Dwarves are very suspicious, even of other holds. Um, or other dwarfs, they're going to want to know who you are. They're going to want to know who your clan is. And you can't just like randomly call upon that. Now, is there a dwarf that maybe somewhere out in the world uh, due to cowardice or some other emotion or personal development comes to an understanding of, you know what? I don't want to do this. Uh, I think that is a story that could absolutely happen. And that's probably a dwarf that lives among the humans somewhere. And that being said, that dwarf would live with terrible terrible inner turmoil i mean that would be like that would be a dwarf that has night terrors and wakes up sweating in the night struggling with that inner that inner relationship of 
I have done a horribly dishonorable thing, and there is this oath that I took. No one forced me to take that oath. You cannot force someone to take a Slayer oath. No matter how bad what somebody does is, you cannot force them to become a Slayer. You can kick them out of the hold. You could say that they're dishonored and they're disgraced, but you cannot force someone to become a Slayer. It is a very, very personal um journey that has to be made so for someone to take that journey and then decades or century even centuries later be like oops is virtual i would say is borderline impossible and just because of how you had to get there in the first place yeah so i have an example an actual example where this occurs in an actual book <laughs> so what happens when you swear the Slayer Oath for, let's say, a reason? I won't go into the reason because if you happen to play the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay starter set, there's a character called Gunner in there who is a Slayer. And there is a reason why he swore the Slayer Oath. But what happens when you find out that the reason that you swore that oath was a lie? <laughs> now that breaks that Slayer's heart because the Slayer has formed the oath and cannot go back. You can't because you've sworn it. Once you swear that oath, there is no going back. But people are people. And they're not human. But when you find out that you've been tricked, when you find out that the entire reason for your oath is a lie, it puts you in a very hard place. And that was at the core of one of the small side adventures that we built for the starter set because it was very important to examine the Slayer as a concept, not just as an individual, and pose a question, what happens when that oath is sworn as a lie? The truth, in fact, is you've sworn the oath, you're screwed, you're a Slayer forever, and no dwarf would ever go back on that or they just wouldn't really be a dwarf. It's not how they think. They're now sworn that. They've sworn to be like Grimner. Grimner will just keep on plowing on regardless, even if he was tricked. That doesn't mean he's not going to look for revenge or some equivalent, but that also doesn't mean that his own individual psyche isn't going to change. He is now, his personal reflection will be no longer, I am honorless. He doesn't, he's no longer honorless, but he has sworn this oath. So if anything, because he's no longer honorless, He's going to... Yeah, now it's even more important. Even harder! Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, but that doesn't mean he's not going to express himself in different ways. His anger will show in different ways. He might decide that now a better way of doing it, rather than just blindly throwing myself forward, getting drunk, I'm really sad, will be to have purpose now. Perhaps that they will pursue different types of career. They will become a different type of slayer. And that's cool, because it shows that the whole concept of the slayer is complicated. It's not just a one tone one version of what a slayer can be and that is fun and that's why we brought it directly into the starter set um it was actually a very difficult piece to put together because it was put together by me and b sherry b by the way absolutely marvelous person because um we did one small side story for every npc and the slayer was by far the hardest <laughs> pinned down because yeah. you wanted to make sure that you spoke about something that wasn't just caving big things in Although we mm. did have a big runic guardian that we could go cave in. Yeah, I, yeah, the Good runic guardian is fantastic. Um, yep. But it was super important that we examined the deep emotional um, decisions that had been made behind being a slayer. And that's difficult to do in just a single page. But I think we presented a pretty good story there, largely because it shows the difficulties that the slayer threat presents. Um, 
so a uh, question here for Morton Crescent, I think is kind of interesting of wouldn't that mean they cannot fulfill the particulars of that oath? Uh, no, the Slayer Oath is, it's literally, it, the Slayer Oath paradoxically is very simple, mm -hmm. but Slayers are often very particular about how they want to fulfill the simplest oath, which is die honorably in battle, period. Yeah. At its heart, that's it. Um, they're going to be more than capable of fulfilling that particular honor. The uh, oath that they swear in no way discusses their previous life or why they swore it. Indeed, it's not just taboo. No one discusses these points. It doesn't matter. It's personal. When you come forward and you join the cult of the Slayer, your past life is now irrelevant. None of it matters anymore. All that matters is going forward underneath this new oath. So that new oath in no way encapsulates any of the reasoning behind it. So you're not going to be in a position where you can't see that oath through. Yeah. However, there is one exception, which oh, is that, yes, um, which is a fascinating thing that, of course, is explored in one of the special characters, which is what if you have an oath that directly contradicts the Slayer Oath? So if you are a dwarf, you have made an oath that somehow requires you to either stay in a singular place or requires you to stay alive, and then all of a sudden you take the Slayer Oath. The and Oath that, of Kingship. Yeah, so there is, a, of course, a very particular character who is literally that is his whole deal which yep. is, of course, Ungrim Iron Fist. But it's not really about Ungrim. We'll come to him in a second. We're going to go, we're going to wheel back the clock several generations to his uh, great, great, great? Five. Grand? Yeah, uh, Five yeah, yeah. Uh, which is quite a long time. Uh, Hyos, uh, depending on the dwarf itself, how would a city dwarf see a slayer? Would they see them as how normal dwarves? Okay, my city dwarf, do you mean like an empire dwarf? Or do you mean like a dwarf in one of the Kadaks? I think that's almost certainly the case. So this is a dwarf that's effectively uh, no longer living inside yeah, um, the dwarf holds. Indeed. Now, they often are exactly the same as the ones living in the holds. It's just they haven't been there for the last few hundred to potentially a thousand years. They hand down all the same traditions. They have exactly the same mindsets. They will view slayers in exactly the same way. But... And it's always <laughs> worth adding a bit of a but... Um, the whole concept of the Imperial Dwarf has been kicking around in Warhammer almost since the beginning. Indeed, they used to be part of the Empire Army list back in 4th edition Warhammer, um, where you could just choose a unit of Imperial Dwarves. And they are, in many respects, naturalized to human society and have considered themselves to be citizens of the Empire, not citizens of, let's say, the Karakhan Corps. They're mm. separate to that. Um, but that no, does not in any way mean that they don't recognize the oaths that have been sworn by the Slayer. So that in many respects, they might personally go, I'd never do that, but they have done it. And the most are going to respect that with exactly the same level of, let's say, passion, because the dwarves themselves are that. They can't yeah. help it. And what, what's interesting uh, about that question that's also worth pointing out is if you have a dwarf that for some reason has become particularly isolated, so maybe they were orphaned and they were raised in a human community or what have you, that particular dwarf might not understand what's going on. And they may try to talk to the Slayer like, oh, my God, another dwarf. The Slayer would be very upset. The Slayer, I, I, like, the, in the sense that, like, if you read, yeah. like, the Gotrek and Felix books, there are Slayers that try to talk to Gotrek. Or, uh, sorry, non-Slayer dwarves that try to talk to Gotrek and treat him like a regular dwarf. And Gotrek just looks at them like, how dare you? 
Like, how dare you ignore my oath as a slayer mm-hmm. and you're committing a cultural taboo? How fucking dare you? Yeah, I agreed 100% with the inevitable uh, caveat of some dwarves will take different routes because they're all yes. individuals. For example, some of them who were pedagogic in their previous life, teachers, for example. Yeah, they, they might, might be might like, think, hey, they might be like, okay, do that. <laughs> you've done something wrong and you clearly don't understand you've done something wrong. So let me uh, explain it to you and how horrible this is. And it might actually be quite a cathartic experience for the dwarf then explaining through the oath. Now, you've got to remember that they're not going to respond to this like a human because they're not they're dwarves when they Hmm. hear the fundamental awfulness that has led them to reach that point they themselves will be able to reflect and say yes i'd probably do the same thing in those circumstances holy shit this is awful so even though they may have a different cultural background they'll still have the same basic psyche uh, which is approaching the situation so they may not agree with it but i think they definitely understand yeah gotrek is probably one of the more extreme examples that you'll see uh, because gotrek is actually like a lot people a lot of people don't understand how like he's a of the sliding scale of slayers go is like way the fuck down there but uh uh he tends to respond very angrily because his slayer oath really bothers him a lot and he's been alive for a long time by slayer mm-hmm. standards a long time um but uh yeah some, most slayer king. yeah some yeah slayer <laughs> king uh some slayers are much more patient about it some will punch you in the face some will uh will educate you but will refuse to tell you what happened a lot of slayers do not like to talk about what happened no Um, it's it's their past life it literally has nothing to do with them it's a cultural taboo yeah but uh anyway back to the slayer king so uh six five or six generations ago uh, so yeah five um there i cannot remember his name at the top of my head but there was a yeah yes belagar so there was a uh belagar iron fist or whatever the hell his I don't think Iron Fist is right, but uh, I, I think Iron Fist is. Um, I think uh, I think that's Ungrim's yeah. yes, title. I'm pretty, not, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's well, uh, it, Garagrim carries on the name Iron. Yeah, Fist, he though. carries it on, but it I, again, I think it's um uh, a name that's given rather than the yeah. class. Anyway, Belagar. Uh, yeah, not not to be confused with Carrick Eight Peaks Belagar, different Belagar. Um, was the king of Kalakadrin, and he was a big, awesome king that everybody liked. Baragor. It's Baragor. Baragor. Okay, cool. Uh, two similar names and I was getting them confused. I, I could Baragor, just thanks. not be lazy and grab my dwarf book. Oh, I'm just gonna... oh, I'll check it up while you're looking. Okay. No, no, uh, well, not while, no, you're, while you're talking. You go nope. check it up. I'm I, I, can, I can read and talk at the same time. It's fine. I got it right here. But uh, he was uh, a big awesome king of uh, Karakadrin and uh, was, yes, yep, King Baragor. You are correct. Five times great grandsire. You were correct on the five times. Good job. Oh. Uh, so he was big, awesome dad in charge of Kadakadrin, and he had a daughter um, that he loved very, very dearly. And Kadakadrin was very powerful um, during this time. They were doing very, very well for themselves, and they were kind of at a point where them and Kadakadrin were very closely equal in power and wealth and authority. And they had a, a marriage was arranged between Kadakadrin and Kadakadrin, and so. Uh, King Baragor sends his daughter with a big old army, a big throng of dwarfs down to Karazakarak for the wedding so she can marry the prince of Karazakarak and the clans will be joined and it'll be awesome and everything's great. However, tragedy strikes uh, when uh, easily of the living dragons, the biggest bad guy dragon that is still alive to this day for the dwarf empire is Skaladrak and Carnadin. Bloody Skaladrak. And she is the daughter of Skaladrak, 
the big the mother of dragons so she is old mm -hmm. and she is big and powerful and she only wakes up every couple centuries or thousands of years actually she doesn't get up very often but when she does wake up it is fucking bad every time and she wakes up and she comes across this throng and she attacks them and it's a massacre mm -hmm. it is awful and the daughter dies and this sends King Baragor into an absolute spiral. Uh, she yep. was his only daughter and he fucking like he loses himself utterly to grief. And he does something quite genuinely unthinkable, mm -hmm. which is that he takes, he goes to the shrine. He goes into his keep into a place for Grimnir, which the, the big shrine of Grimnir had not been built yet. And the big uh, one had been built, but it was a shrine of Grimnir. Yeah, uh, so he goes the there across all the holes. Yeah, and he he swears the Slayer Oath, which he should not have. From a dwarf understanding of how oaths work, he was not allowed to do that. And there's a reason, because he had already sworn an all-encompassing oath, and that was the oath of kingship. Now let's very briefly sum each because they can be summed up in a very simple sentence. Something along the lines of on one hand, he's got an oath where he must do absolutely everything in his power to preserve and protect the people of his hold. Everything. And on the other hand, he's got an oath where he must die in battle against a worthy foe. Not just a foe, not just some random goblin, a yeah. worthy foe. So he's now got two deeply conflicting oaths because one oath needs to keep himself alive everything in his power to protect his people means staying alive but on the other side he swore another oath everything in his power to die in battle against a worthy foe and we have a problem and indeed it was a personal one this isn't something that someone else can come along and say hey look i understand you've got these two handy oaths let's have a sit down and chat it all out that isn't what occurred. He had to figure this out for himself. Yeah, and it's it's likely that this was an incredibly dramatic scenario of he went and did this and came back in front of his council and they went, what the fuck have you done? Yeah. And like all the things and the lords and the grudge lore guys and the lore masters and everyone had to sit down and go, how the hell are we going to figure this out? And th it probably took a, it was probably a debate that raged for months, if not years of yep. how to, of him being like, I'm going to go seek my death and them going, you cannot, you may not. Um, which is interesting in that, like for humans, I'm we balanced have to, off with others going, but you must, yeah, but you have, but yeah, you must. <laughs> yeah. I cannot, yeah. I cannot imagine the screaming matches that took place in that council. Um, ultimately though it is his choice how to deal with it and he comes to uh let's say balanced choice where he decides that he will continue on as king and do everything in his power to keep that oath but equally should his hold go to war or anything similar he'll be right the fuck there looking for a worthy foe to take yeah. down yeah there it's is some personal responsibility to defend the hold and he does his best to merge the two yeah, and it it's it it takes a toll on him mm. and all of his descendants because obviously he fails. Um, King Baragor died through normal means, <laughs> unfortunately for him. Um, yeah. And so did his son and his son's son and his son's son's son and etc. Until we get to Ungrim. Uh, Ungrim Ironfist is the latest. He is the sixth. Um, 
in the line of Slayer Kings, uh, which it is. There's an extra detail that's worth adding here. Um, oh, go ahead. One of the ways that he uh, managed to balance the two was that he decided that he would significantly increase the uh, yeah. benefits that the other slayers would receive at his hold. They massively increased the shrine to green there um, because they said that they would provide solace to all of those who were on who had taken the slayers' oath so that they could better so that they could much better fulfill that oath. Effectively, he became king of the Slayers, and he gave the Slayers a much better opportunity to come to terms with their oath in a fashion that would bring honor back to their lines. And in very short order, what was once a hold that had so many thousand dwarves in it became a hold that had not just a few hundred, but thousands of slayers, as many of them actually decided that the only true place that they could swear the Slayer Oath was to make their way to the Slayer Keep. They may make an oath when they did it originally at one of the smaller shrines to Grimnir, or perhaps just holding their own little icon or some equivalent as tears possibly streaming down their face. They come to terms with the fact that they are leaving their life behind. But many of them make pilgrimages to this great Slayer Shrine that had been put in place by the Slayer Kings. Um, because it not just provides them with extra support, it almost validates that oath. And this isn't a great big camaraderie thing these guys and occasional girls are all as a one unhappy deeply upset individuals yeah, they're not they're happy to see each other <laughs> for one reason or another and most of them are isolationist many will go there and then just leave but many of them hang around because they're fully aware that many of the greatest stories that impact the dwarven realm as a whole will focus and return here and then they can go off and try and resolve them it's almost like an adventure hub yeah, and uh, you know, somebody was joking earlier, but this was this is a perfect example of when grudge lawyers came into play. Yeah. Of the idea of when they were sitting down trying to figure out how to balance, like Baragor literally would have had very old, ancient, long-beard advisors who were working with him to figure out how to balance these two oaths. And the decision they came to, like Andy said, was he said, you know what? I'm gonna open, I'm gonna throw open the treasury. And I'm going to make a personal commitment to all the Slayers that exist and to Grimnir himself. And we will make this the Slayer Keep, which I'm sure for the non-Slayer Dwarfs was deeply controversial um, and was like, we're going to welcome all the Slayers here. Um, but he like that was that they, um, they have abandoned a lot of, honor. Why yeah, would we want them here? After but a lot of so I'm sure beard tugging, they finally agreed that this was a reasonable compromise and that's what it was it was a compromise so that allowed him to stay in the hold while also technically he is setting up for a worthy doom by inviting all these slayers by enabling them to seek out their own dooms and the 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 slayer shrine of katakadrin is massive the yep. shrine of grimnir it is fully stocked with everything a slayer would need um they provide you provisions they can provide weapons uh they can provide yeah axes uh but like they will provide things for you you can rest and you have there are there the brotherhood of grimnir uh hangs out at the at the slayer shrine of katakadren and the brotherhood oh, of grimnir are a <laughs> seriously they're all yeah, angry man. witcher um <laughs> uh, <laughs> jesus so um what's the brotherhood of grimnir is a fascinating group of dwarfs so they are from what we would to see 
are priests of Grimnir. Like they are like full on monks. They are slayers. Like you yeah, have to be a slayer to be a brother, a brother of Grimnir or a sister. Um, but the Brotherhood of Grimnir are full on priests that wear robes. And the way they serve their slayer oath, though they do eventually seek to die in battle, is they serve at the shrine and they help the other slayers. They counsel them. They act kind of as grief counselors in many ways, yeah. helping them get into a mind space where they can help them figure out what is the right play. They even go so far as helping them find like contracts in a way of being like, hey, I've heard about XYZ. You could go to these places or I know these slayers are going to fight this evil way over at this other hold. Why don't you go with them? And, and I think there's worth adding a small point here. Um, the word here in the oath is worthy. And this is how you can get something like the Brotherhood existing. Say, for example, you had been a slayer, you'd done your oath, and you'd wander around a bit, you'd taken down a troll, can't believe it, the thing is dead, you've carried on fighting, and perhaps you've taken out something far bigger, maybe as big as a giant. And then you cast your eyes around, you wander about for a good 20, 40 years, and find nothing worthy. <laughs> nothing. Literally nothing. So what do you do? You hike your way back to the shrine, and you wait. Where can you find your worthy death? And there the Brotherhood can exist. These are older slayers, those that understand what it means to be a slayer, who can pass on advice, teach others how they can best reach their own worthy deaths, assuming they want to listen. You've got to remember that it's all very, <laughs> very personal. Yeah, not, not all of you. Many of them don't want to talk. Many of them would rather just drink in the halls and then just leave out into the mountains in the hope that they find something that is worthy of uh, facing. But they are, again, remember, they are not strictly speaking suicidal. If they were, they could just wander anywhere in the mountains and meet a bunch of goblins. They're eventually going to die. It's that worthy bit that makes their oath so hard. Yeah, and the, the Brotherhood of Grimnir are... They it, the few times I've seen them written about, they are a beautifully designed piece of lore and how seriously they take their job of that. They are very gifted healers because for them, you you cannot die. They are so deeply committed that they will do everything in their power to make sure you die a worthy death. So it's like, oh, you got cut out your body. I'll go death? further. They'll do everything in their power to make sure you don't die. Yeah. Because go much further. They yeah. have no interest in your death at all because that will just absolve you in some respects. So it's, it's like giving up death. You fight to the last bitter ounce of your strength and you come back because your shame, you swore this oath, your shame will last forever. If you die, you've failed. Dying is failure. That's the big <laughs> mistake that most people think. They think that failed slayers are those that are still alive. no. Failed slayers are those that die. They have sworn to mm. die in a particular battle. They have never fulfilled that oath, but they are still failed slayers. And it's a it's a bit of a turnaround in how most people view them. Yeah. Um, and there's, I mean, the Brotherhood of Grimnir, there are some tidbits and lore, uh, various things about them that are very cool. Is that A, the Shrine of Grimnir also has um, like a ledger. Um, there's a bit, basically a pillar of stone where slayers inscribe their names and they keep mm. track of everyone. And they basically mark off when someone has achieved their oath and they're like, well done. And they obliterate your name. Um, they, uh, they also serve as counselors in the sense that they help slayers remember why they became slayers. They are very, very worried about slayers that lose themselves to alcoholism. For instance, um, they do not like that. 
they want you to think about why you became a slayer. They want you to hold on to that and for it to motivate you so that you will go do what you need to do. The, there's a whole thing about when Snorri Nosebiter starts losing his memory. Um, he kind of basically it's implied that he's such an alcoholic that he has br literal brain damage and yeah. he can't remember why he's a slayer. And to them, that is an existential crisis. Because if you do not remember why you are a slayer, you cannot fulfill your oath. You have to remember. Um, so Which they take that after all personal. Yeah. So they take it's that right incredibly you. seriously. Mm -hmm. And the Brotherhood of Grimnir are probably the only people who can talk very reliably dress down a slayer uh, of being like, you're not doing this right. Like, like we understand you're aggrieved, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. And yeah. you're doing it wrong. And you got to remember, a lot of dwarves are going to be wandering into this without any real concept at all of what they're doing. Um, it's a little bit like, now, and this is going to sound like a very weird comparison to many people out here, uh, but I'm going to make it anyway. It's a little bit like having a baby. <laughs> I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. But if, <laughs> most people in their lives, when they have a baby for the first time, have literally no idea what the fuck they're doing. And they just kind of fumble through. They know they've got to keep this thing alive. So they do everything in their power. They might read up in it. They might work their way through it. They might be isolationists. They might have family they can fall back on. But they're still utterly unsure what to do with the thing. And similarly, many slayers, when they first slay that oath, no, um, slay that oath? Sorry, swear <laughs> that oath. They may be aware of the fundamental choice they're making. But the actual day-to-day -day fact of what they've done is going to be so beyond their normal existence. What if they were just a standard clansman who, for the last 50, 80 years, just been working away at the forges? Suddenly, they have become now a warrior. Yeah, they They're go, going now, to die a warrior's what? death. They may never have had a proper fight in their life. They have no idea what to do. And that's why many of them will go to the Slayer Shrine first, the big Slayer Shrine, because there they will basically get the good old handy Slayer training that is potentially yeah, required. Yeah, Others, though, will be dumb, diving in straight away, fully aware of what they're doing. Yeah, there's a perfect example of that is in the Headtaker novel by David Geimer. There is a Empire Dwarf who becomes a Slayer by the end of the story. And the dwarves of Karakazul, where he... He, something horrible happens because of course quick head taker is involved so some horrible shit happens and he ends up so sad and shamed that he's like i have to become a slayer but i don't really know what to do and the dwarves of karakazul are genuinely very sympathetic to him and they say you go to karakadrin um travel there and they will they will they will teach you everything you need to know they will show you the way mm -hmm. um so go go there it's a recent development as well, although recent. Five generations of dwarf isn't that <laughs> yep. recent. Fair, um, fair number of centuries, but yeah. <laughs> but in, in the greater scheme of the entirety of dwarf existence, it's a relatively recent development. Before that, it would have been handled quite differently. Um, and in many respects, that's one of the reasons why the Oath of Kingship could be married off against the Oath of the Slayer, um, because they were doing something to promote the whole concept of the Oath of the Slayer. I can imagine I mean, just talking it out as you try to balance out what that poor king had to decide between, it doesn't make sense. Not, none of it really works because the hmm. two oaths are contradictory and he could not betray either no oath, literally couldn't. Um, and imagine the heartache that poor king was going through. What a nightmare. Yeah. Um, Sam, uh, super chat from Sam. Get it up. Uh, so if a slayer is wearing armor, 
he is not slaying correctly. <laughs> and if another dwarf saw like no if you ever saw a dwarf wearing a lot of armor, there is something really weird going on there. Now, that's not to say slayers do not wear a lot of stuff. A lot of the times they'll have like cloaks or little uh like pieces of trophies all over them. It doesn't really function as armor a lot of the time. Maybe in an absolute emergency, it might luckily deflect a blow, but they're supposed to be surviving battle through skill alone, yep. not things that you know, not runecraft, not armor. So all the Kankari in terms of to protect themselves in the greater scheme of things, clothes doesn't count in this, obviously. Yeah, um, is runic weapons at most um because they are basically fulfilling the same oath that was performed by grimner himself and grimner stripped down and it was like his Rah! moment and off he went so no they don't wear armor now they used to in the past and i think it is worth stating that because there's possibly a few of you older viewers like me who remembers the good old giant sit slayer career all the way back in the first edition of warmer fantasy roleplay and there you could have yourself a chainmail shirt and that was duplicated down into the slayer oath as it was presented back with stone and steel the concept that you could if you wished wear a chainmail shirt that was ditched completely and yeah. utterly instead it was what grimner did and he didn't so no yeah the only slayer that's allowed to wear armor is the slayer king and that's because his oath dictates he has to stay alive so he 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 kind of fudges it by being like all right i'm wearing all of my best armor so i'm doing my best to stay alive but i'm yeah. also going to go fight the biggest baddest thing i could find in the battlefield it sucks for him because he literally has to wear the best armor he possibly can that is available to him as king because of the oath of kingship which means that he must do everything in his power to protect his people which means that he must protect himself um but passing that one after grimner who's the first slayer meh who knows i want to i want to <laughs> mm, I, I mean say... i know his son wasn't because his son um was told to fuck off by grimner yeah um wanna... yeah the um slayers what's interesting about slayers is According to some stories in the lore, like the, the War of Vengeance trilogy, as a concept, they kind of vanished for a while. Like things were going well enough in the Karazan Corps that they stopped really being as much of a thing. Uh, and then in the War with the Elves, they really resurged, um, which is when like the first Demon Slayer happened. Uh, not being not Grimnir, but the first Demon Slayer since. Um, I mean, if, if you look at it, uh, it's clearly a fundamental part of the Dwarven psychology. So they're going to be there almost from the beginning in one fashion or another anyway. Once the old ones have left them and they no longer have any tight control because the Dwarves were probably just as controlled as, say, the Lizardmen at one point. Um, <laughs> and they're they're now working to their own recognizance. Um, the Dwarven psychology uh, will be reflected in a certain way. And Grimner is the first that reflects that. And the later Dwarves will copy uh, because that's largely how dwarves work. Yeah, I, um, I, I want to say, I forget which son got the axe. Um, it was uh, Morgrim got the axe. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Morgrim. Morgrim, yeah, he gets Onky oh, Grundy. Onky Grundy's is um, that's the Widowmaker, as I recall. Onky Grundy. Um, and no. again, top of my head could be wrong there. I got a no, no, I think, I think that's right, but uh, uh, but, but, but yeah, yeah. But, yeah, there are almost certainly some dwarves that emulated Grimnir very, very quickly. Um, yeah. after Grimnir did his whole thing, but they're not recorded. Yeah, indeed. Um, and I think the War of Vengeance is when you get a massive resurgence because there's so much personal horror in that. 
Um, and the dwarves themselves are dealing with things that previously they hadn't been dealing with on such an enormous scale because the entire empire, effectively kingdom, I suppose, got all the kingdoms, goes to war. And it's huge. And it's not been like that since, well, you know, back in the first actual wars that they faced back in the mm. Great Catastrophe. So, yeah, plus it yeah. was an ugly war. Oh, um, really ugly. I mean, Hammond, war uh, yes, that is that is Slayer mentality. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the other thing, I saw somebody ask a question about this as well. Uh, another reason of going to the kind of country shrine is really important for slayers is that yes, they do absolutely offer training there. Like mm. there, the Brotherhood of Grimnir will teach you to fight yeah, well, because um, they want you to die worthy. It's it's yeah. not worth it if you die because you suck at fighting. That's not good. And it's also worth adding that um, this has a flip side too. Those who have sworn that oath, they might reach the point where they realize that the only way that they can fulfill that oath is to be properly trained. They might already know how to do the whole fighty thing, so they don't hmm. feel that they need training, so off they go and they do whatever they do. As a yeah, slayer. then they get their butt whooped but survive. <laughs> yeah, totally. But those who really do feel like they aren't capable yet of fighting, it is in their oaths, not just the oath's remit, their oath demands that they face off and make sell their life hard so they should be able to fight go get yeah. yourself y'all know that y'all know that whole concept you always heard from teachers that you probably didn't like that much growing up where they you like weren't doing your homework properly or cheating whatever and they're like the only person you're cheating is yourself mm. um that dwarves take that very much to heart of like you don't want to cheat your slayer oath because you're the only one that's going to benefit from fulfilling it and in many respects, um, it's almost alien to their mindset, or at least most of their mindsets, to cheat their oath. They will do everything within their power to not cheat their oath because yep. it's hard-coded into who they are. So yeah, that dwarf's going to do whatever is required, which for some will be training. Others will just push that aside, though. Remember, they are individuals. They all have their own internal personal stories. Yep. That being said, if you're ever making a deal with a dwarf merchant, be very, very fucking careful uh, listen to how he words things because he will be very clever about it he'll do exactly what he promised you <laughs> but only that um in any event um so going back to the slayer kings because i think there's a lot more to explore that's very interesting is that uh kanaka Dren has a whole top-down design for slayers because they actually ran into some from a distance amusing issues uh, because so many slayers lived in Karakadrin, when a threat would appear, all the slayers would want to be like, ah, and swarm it, which would cause problems because uh, that would defeat the point uh, of like, if they have a thousand slayers swarm like a single chaos giant, well, okay, like that's not really as much of a fight. So uh, they introduced a system of the war mourner. So the war mourner is the son of the slayer king, always. And his job is that he decides who gets to fulfill their oath that day. So when they hear about there's some kind of threat, um, like there's a chaos giant rampaging through uh, Axe Bite Pass, or there's a chaos horde coming down from the north, or the, the goblins of Red Eye Mountain are swarming out and we have to go fight them or whatever. Um, his job is that all the slayers gather around and he goes, you, 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 you. Uh, like he decides who gets to fulfill their oaths and he will weigh in his mind who's been there the longest whose oaths like uh, often it's not unusual worthy for, yeah it's not it's often that he knows who has killed what what has mm -hmm. happened to who it's not unusual for him to know why they took their oaths um like he knows a lot 
and uh, in modern Warhammer Fantasy, Garagrim uh, is that until yeah. fairly recently, uh, depending on where you are in the timeline, who, which we'll get to in, in a moment because it's actually really interesting what happens to him. But yeah. uh, like, there's so many moments where he is choosing who gets to go and die, and it's very stressful for Slayers. And like, his job is impossibly hard because he is going to be hated by all the Slayers he does not pick. Um, I, I would go. I wouldn't necessarily hated, um, but I think most certainly challenged at points. Um, because no. you've got to remember that the word worthy carries an exceedingly large amount of weight. Um, and if you send a slayer who is not capable of taking that thing down, um, then that they could argue that's a worthy foe. But if they can't take it down, it isn't. They will just die. They've sold their life to, uh cheaply so to speak they're meant to they're meant to be able to kill what they face um which basically means if you're not chosen you're being told that they don't think you're capable of killing it and that is that's already for yeah, someone who's that in a be... difficult place that's tough yeah, that's and, really tough yeah and he has to do what's interesting and this is actually a, a position that's traditionally held by thanes lords and kings and other holds which is that slayers often ask for permission in a hold to go engage a threat. Um, they are often not allowed to just do it. Um, they have to get permission to do so. And that Lord Thane, whatever, has to weigh a lot of really interesting decisions of that. Personally, they understand that that dwarf's goal is to go die and fulfill their oath against a worthy foe. So on one hand, they have to measure, do I think this is truly a worthy Again, opponent? I'm going to challenge that one. Well, okay. Well, um, I'll come back to it in a second. Tiny but, challenge. Just so we've said it, that dwarf is not there to die. That dwarf is there to kill it. That's true. I, I think I think some slayers would not agree with what you just said. <laughs> um, no, I think they all want to die in glorious battle, but they don't see. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I, I yeah, I, I think there are some dwarves out there who are uh, suicidal is not the right word. Yeah, but they have I, a very yeah, specific yeah, yeah. goal in mind. They um, do, and I agree. Yeah, like them surviving that fight is upsetting. <laughs> uh, of like, damn it, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. 100%. Yeah, uh, but what's interesting is that you also have an issue, and granted, the War Mourner is better about not doing this, but there are, of course, kings, thanes, and lords who come to rely on the slayers and realize that they're very good in certain circumstances and don't want to use them or don't want them to die against certain kinds of foes. Belagar Ironhammer especially deals with this because he has a very limited resource, being dwarfs, in uh, Karagate Peaks, which is eternally under siege. Slayers are incredibly valuable to him, and he does not like throwing them away. And this causes a lot of arguments between uh, Belagar and his slayers because they say, "Oh man, look at all those squigs. We're gonna go. We're gonna go hold off those squigs and give you guys a fighting retreat." And Belagar will say, "No, I need you for something else." And they get they get like red in the face, furious. Now they can't they can't deny him. They are in his hold. He is king, but it is they it is honor. a it is a fascinating uh, relationship. Yeah. Um, um, also, I'd, I'd add a small detail to that because there's also some deep concerns, particularly in some of the holds where that are more weakly held, that if a great threat is encountered, the Slayers will obviously want to try and take that out. But that might wake it up. And yeah. that's, that's 
difficult, particularly for both the Slayer, who is desperate to face such a thing, and the King, who is desperate to ensure that that never happens because of the dangers, particularly dragons. Mm. Well, like you have uh, another great example of the situation with Belagar is when they were having the whole problem with the Chaos Troll, which uh, uh, the Chaos Troll from the first Go Trek and Felix book, who, fun fact for anyone that does not know, is actually a very important troll. Um, he ties back to the fall, the original fall of Carrick Eight Peaks. Yeah. And I think he even has a name technically, but he is a big fucking deal. Belagar stops sending slayers down there because they just keep dying. And he doesn't want the troll to come back up. Uh, like he starts running into an issue of he knows the trolls down there. Slayers have gone down there. They died. And now he starts having to weigh the issue of every time he potentially lays slayers down there, that might make the troll more hungry. It might wake up. It might follow where the slayers came from and come back up to the hold. That's a huge fucking problem. He can't problem. risk that. And that's that's a really interesting dichotomy. If you have a shard dragon that you found the lair of deep beneath your hold in like the, the, the 12th deep or something, and the slayers are like, oh, just let us go fight it. You go, no, I'm not going to let you go like piss it off. <laughs> and that, it might come back. And it's going to cause huge problems because inevitably at some point that's going to go all the way back up to uh, the slayer keep as well. And they're going to have potential slayers up there yeah they're, they're gonna be like oh let's send all old. slayers in and, and, and they'll they're, they'll be super old they'll be finally there's something that i can prove my metal against i've already killed x y and z here comes omega this is the one um and if i take this down well that's going to be a part of my story but that means that my death will be against something even bigger because you got to remember after they become the part we didn't really discuss if you do slay a dragon your next step really is to do what grimner did and head north yep okay yeah. so it's the big step they want to kill a dragon because if they can they can continue on in their step at the same point they who wants you know they, they want to die in glorious battle but they want to take that thing down because they want to emulate grimner and um, the the biggest the final thing is heading off north and killing those demons yeah which uh also for anyone should also hopefully explain to you why gotrek is so insanely depressed considering how quickly in his slayer career he kills a bloodthirster like he reached the zenith of slayerdom very quickly <laughs> and then he's just kind of like great yeah now what <laughs> it's a thing for uh, but but gotrek is also a very special case uh gotrek is practically a a, a, a living deity well, in many respects, by following the footsteps of Grimner, he has become Grimner. Yeah, which um, he in hates. many respects. <laughs> which indeed, he's the good old Slayer's doom. The the more you kill, the more you become like the thing you're emulating. The more you literally become like it. As the dwarf becomes more and more and more that, the closer they emulate their ancestor god, the closer they become to that ancestor god. And indeed, he becomes almost a living avatar of Grimner. Yeah, uh, the last few things about Kyrakadrin uh, that I think we're talking about with the... So we've talked about the War Mourner, we've talked about the Slayer yep. King and all that stuff, um, mm -hmm. is what actually happened with Garagrim and Ungrim, which yeah, is a kind of a fascinating story in and of itself. So Ungrim has a son, Garagrim, uh, who's a very big badass in his own right. He's the War Mourner of Kyrakadrin. Mm -hmm. And in the original version of the story, this happens during the Storm of Chaos. Uh, but of course the storm of chaos got retconned out of existence, but games workshop <laughs> loved the story. They wrote so much yeah. that they just were like, fuck it. We'll just, 
we'll just put it into the regular lore. It's fine. I mean, if you, if you're looking for all the Slayer details, it's in the Storm of Chaos army list. That's where the that's yeah. where the Slayer uh, army can be found. So you can see what their plan was, and then the rewrite of that later. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, it's actually quite funny. Um, that so, uh, but they and it's a great story. So I'm actually really glad they kept it. So they basically retconned it. We don't have a year for it. So if you're ever playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, you can have this happen during your campaign Anytime. very easily. Um, we know it happened like sometime in the past decade or two, which is roughly around when Wolfrip takes place. Mm -hmm. But um, Garagrim, as we said, the War Mourner, his job is he gets to pick who goes to die. And there is a big chaos army that comes down and attacks Karakadrin because the Horse of Chaos are keenly aware that it is the Slayer Hold. They know there will be worthy battle there. The Warriors of Chaos do enjoy a good fight, uh, especially the more cornate ones. Um, so they often go down and they slam and fight one another. And, uh, if you actually want a really cool you, uh, view of this, uh, go check a Felix Lord of Skulls is about a siege of Katakadrin. It's an awesome it book. It's got chaos dwarfs in it. It's fantastic. Um, honestly, I think it's the best book David Geimer ever wrote next to maybe head taker. Um, it's a really good book. Um, Balkrag Grimgerson. Who's Balkrag? I feel like I'm suddenly um, in a lore hole, but I feel like I should not be able to dig myself. Oh, man. Hold on. Let me do a very... Oh, okay. So this is... Which one's Bullcrack? So this is from uh, the Karak Asgal adventure. The Adventures of oh, Dragonkrack. He's a He's an undead dwarf slayer. So I, a... I have issues with that book. I, yeah. I have purposely thrown most of it to the corner of my mind, never to be considered again. Yeah, I, I would I would write that under lots of authors like to put in things that I don't think mesh well with the universe, and un, a skeleton dwarf slayer fits in that category. <laughs> Someone wrote it. I don't agree with it. The end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not a huge fan of the Caracasgo book. It's got some really lovely details here and there, but it also has some very silly ones, like for example, Wednesday. Yeah, there like, is no I, Wednesday in the Warhammer world. Yeah, I, I guess if you really wanted to, you could say if there was a dwarf who, for some unfortunate means, was forced to stay in his body, um, eh, he, I guess he could be like, well, I'm not technically dead, so I guess I'll just keep slaying. But that's yeah, that's a very weird thing. Uh, I am, I am very strongly of the opinion that dwarfs should only ever show up as either just puppets of the undead, uh, like necromancers and such. In which case, there's nothing yes. going on up here. Or they are spirits that are being interrupted because something horrible has happened to their burial tombs. You got to remember that uh, dwarfs, by their very nature, are antithetical to magic. So the chances of necromancy working on them is already very low. Yeah, but like a dwarf white, I hate that shit. If with the yeah. second a writer pulls that out, that writer does not understand dwarfs. Yeah, um, no. spirits are very different. Dwarf spirits will like vague appear when yeah, ghosts will appear when mm. their tombs are violated. Definitely, um, but that's that's a very different thing. Um, so anyway, uh, no, 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 yeah, the Warhammer world has its own weekly structure. I, I've done a whole video about it, I literally have a video about the structure of yeah. Warhammer. Even I did a quick video about this one, yeah, and, yeah, uh, in calendar. the Empire, I think I called it, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll, yeah, I'll have, so yeah, no, <laughs> I've actually been talking to Andy about I have a lore video coming for you guys soon that's going to be delving into like. A lot of that like what the months are called the days of the week and all that crap anyway uh so back to uh katakadrin so um ungrim has tried to die many times 
Um, there's even like some uh, there's but there are some very interesting things of that. He has to deal with various barriers. He has an advisor whose literal job is to remind him constantly of his oath of kingship. So that when Ungram sees a battlefield of... I feel like I want to say it again. It's not that he's tried to die many times. He's tried to face a worthy foe. Yeah, sorry. I'll rephrase it. I'll it's rephrase such it. a tiny distinction, but yes. it's a big one. Yes. So, well, I would say that Ungram is... Ungram is really determined. Yes. Ungram... And granted, Ungram's dealing with a very different problem. Ungram, it's not a personal problem. He doesn't want the oath to pass to his son. Yes. His son is technically not required to be a slayer as long as he is alive. Mm -hmm. So he wants to die honorably because if he does, Garagrim is freed from the oath. But Ungram has a very particular relationship with that thing. That I 100% agree yeah. with. So, yeah. yeah. Totally. So Ungram, there, but there have been times where Ungram will see something and say, I'm going to go fight that. And someone next to him goes, You can't, King. We need you right here. We need someone giving out orders and tactics. And like, you're, if you go out there, your guard has to go out there. They're going to die and it's going to fuck up the whole battle line. He's like, fine, fuck it. I'll stay Oath here. Of kingship gets in the way of yeah. both of them. And that yeah. happens to Ungram a lot. Yeah. Um, and so he has a hard time doing what he wants to do. So Garagrim, God bless him. Garagrim has a, is too good of a son because Garagrim gets it in his head that if he dies fulfilling the oath, his dad will be freed from the Slayer Oath because it's part of their line. Ungrim has not taken the Slayer Oath. It was passed down to him. So if Garagrim can fulfill the oath, then Ungrim will be freed from it. They both have the same idea, which drives Kema, who is Ungrim's wife, fucking nuts because she doesn't want either of them to fulfill it. Yeah. Um, and what ends up happening very tragically is that during a very big battle against the forces of chaos, Garagrim is out leading the, the a Slayer contingent fighting against a chaos giant and he kills the chaos giant, but he also dies. Yep. Um, either due to his wounds or falls on him or whatever. But uh, Garagrim successfully completes the Slayer Oath, killing a worthy foe in battle and dies. And Ungrim is yeah it is it's literally just what caused the original oath all over again is a yeah. father losing their child it, it literally heartbroken not just heartbroken because his son is dead but also heartbroken because he was incapable of fulfilling his own oath um yeah. it, it's it's such a a horrendous moment for him um and it's one of those ones where you can almost play it as a joke ha 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 um, the son dies, you know, oh, but he just swears it again. So we keep on having a Slayer King. Yay. But if you actually look at it, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's awful. And especially because, and there's that extra layer of just awfulness of that Ungrim knew why Garagrim did it. Like mm -hmm. he knew that his son probably died going, thank Grimnir, I did it. Dad's free of this. So he he is living at this moment with the knowledge that his son, from his perspective, threw away his life and everything he could have achieved, everything he could have ever done. Like, like imagine if you're a parent and you find out that like your kid like genuinely threw away their life so that you could get a heart transplant so you could live longer. Like that is a parent's worst fucking nightmare. Yep. And that and so I'm Grim does. The only thing he can't, he, there's no grudge to avenge that. Nothing 
legally, according to Grudge Lore, wrong was done. So the only thing Ungrim can do is he takes the Slayer Oath for himself. Yeah, it's a, and it's a personal choice again. Got to remember that when it comes to Slayer Oath, always a personal choice. And if you think about just how deeply this has affected him, he is indeed arguably free. And I would say arguably, because he has already taken the Slayer Oath anyway. Yeah. So it has been taken. He swore it. It's not something that was sworn by someone else and he's just picked it up. He's sworn it. So it's an arguable point anyway. But it doesn't matter. Such is his heartbreak. He just re-swears it again anyway. So there is no doubt that it is his oath and it will be fulfilled. Yeah, which it reminds me, one of my favorite parts of the end times, um, the end times, we've already done a whole episode on it, <laughs> had a lot of flaws. But one of this, uh, a lot of the scenes that they do that are personal scenes where we're actually seeing dialogue between the characters are actually quite good. And one of the scenes that will always stick with me is the Council of Kings, where Thorgrim is talking to all the different kings. Um, and basically every dwarf special character is in the room. But at, at the end of the conversation, uh, Thorgrim tells everyone to get out except for Ungrim and Belagar because he wants to talk to the two of them in particular. Because the two of them are like pretty behind him in that, yeah, we should fight. We should fight. And he, the most tragic part of that conversation is Thorgrim. Thorgrim is the one of the oldest still living dwarfs next to like Crag and a couple of others. Like he's old and he's the oh, high crap. king. He has the ultimate authority. But he looks to Ungram as a friend and like there's this long pause and Ungram's like, what do you want? And uh, Thorgrim looks at him and genuinely says to him, like, I understand what happened with Garakrim. I understand what you're going through. You, I, please, you cannot throw your life away. Like, I need you. You need, like, I understand you. I need you here. And it is like, it is a heartbreaking scene of like, and Ungrim gets, kind of genuinely upset with Thorgrim for even putting it into words because it's kind of like like it, it's something that everyone around Ungrim probably knew he was thinking but no one would dare say it because it implies some pretty not appropriate things about how he's handling his Slayer Oath and that Ungrim isn't going about it correctly he is treating it like a suicide he's not treating it like it's supposed to and Thorgrim knows that and he calls him out on it and it's like that is one of my favorite scenes to demonstrate what a slayer is like and how sad they are of like they some of them do want to just go out and die but they, they can't that's not doing it right and ungram has it tough with that oath of kingship as well yeah and he like proper tough there yeah, yeah like you know if ungram was human i think a a not inappropriate story would have been that he would have taken his own life after his son died but he's yeah. not human. He's a dwarf. So he has to do it this other way that sucks. And that he has to keep being king and he has to keep living and he has to keep fighting for like he lives another 20, 30 years after Garagrim dies. Like the end times takes a while. Yeah. And it's sad. Like that's the ultimate thing about Slayers. It's a tragedy. Yep. It's the whole sad. thing is one gigantic tragedy. There is um, almost no right answer. There is nothing good about it. It is, um, in many respects, um, the dwarven equivalent of suicide. Um, it's when they have lost literally everything, as far as they're concerned. That is it. The end has come. And they have a very different psychology to humans. They don't have the same cycles 
um, the same thoughts, the same processes, the same types of mental illnesses that might plague them. They have a very different sort. Um, and when they reach that point, they handle it by the Slayer Oath. And by the gods, it's tough. Yeah, it's a nasty one. Yeah, and I mean, Ungrim, like, especially with the Garagrim storyline in mind, Ungrim is one of the best Slayer storylines, like, ever. Yeah, I um, like Ungrim's story. Like, Gotrex is excellent but like you also just feel bad for gotrex there's it's so many also kind books. of massive ot it's a massively ott it's over the top it's a yeah. one gigantic adventure roller coaster which is what it's supposed to be because that's what it is yes um and gotrex makes for a super fun example of the slayer running all the way back to warren fantasy roleplay one when you get a version of gotrex appearing in the very first edition of that game um and yeah, he's a great character, but in many respects, he's become... Terrible Slayer. <laughs> he's become almost too much of a character in that it's like, what are we going to do with him now? Um, yeah. And it's just putting more on top and on top. And it feels a little bit like classic examples of Warhammer uh, power creep. Because to begin with, he was just a Slayer. He was just a Slayer like any other. That's how he was first written. By the end of it, he's effectively a god. And I think that pretty much speaks to how Warhammer has power creeped over time with not just its main characters, but sort of in general as well. Yeah. And there are some interesting explorations. Like if you're ever going to role play a Slayer, but you're someone that you're like, I want my Slayer to make it to the end of, you know, the entire campaign. I do think reading Gotrek stories can be very useful to understanding what happens to a Slayer when they live through that much of like every time you defeat a big bad. For a Slayer, it's this horrible paradox of like, oh, good, I get to fight something more worthy. But at the same time, God damn it. Yeah, depending upon their individual psyches will depend upon how they cope with it. Um, because there will be a part of them that high on the adrenaline rush of the moment almost expects that they might not this time. This might be too much for them. They might not be able to prevail against this thing they've pitched themselves against. And this is a worthy opponent or they wouldn't be pitching themselves so keenly against it. And then to defeat it and have that come down. Whew. Yeah. Of like, of like a lot, you know, even if you're doing the Slayer that like, it, and granted, Gotrek is much more like death seeking than a lot of Slayers. Yeah. Uh, because Gotrek wants to be with his wife and child again, which is a big part of his character. Um, Like if your Slayer doesn't necessarily have that level of tragedy to it and is a little more of like, oh, I'm just looking to kill the biggest, baddest thing I can. There's still that horrible moment of, oh God, I've got to find something bigger than this. Yeah. Like this was so much effort. This took so long. How long is it going to be before the next one? Of like it is sobering. Like there's a reason doors tend to get plastered after those big fights, and it's not. It's usually not celebration. <laughs> it is usually like great. Now all this shit starts all over again. True fact. It's a tough. It's a tough ask being a slayer, but it's one of the reasons why they make such good characters. Um, I will make a small addendum to all of that because it is quite common on the role playing side. M most people when they play a slayer almost play a stereotypical one who is either a just seeking their own death or b weirdly stubborn against fighting literally everything that comes in their path Ugh, and yeah. and it makes for a less interesting character it makes for a less interesting story being told but um if you find yourself in a game with a slayer like that or if you're playing a character like that it's often worth discussing how you can add a little bit more depth to them to try and make them feel like living breathing people who have got um living breathing issues and a definite way that they want to resolve things because um if you're not careful a slayer can completely derail any normal campaign because they won't do what many people always do in warhammer which is run away 
And yeah, which is ridiculous. That's an essential component of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. Yeah. yeah, and I would also say it's the sister component of being a slayer. Like, yeah, you're, you're supposed to die. You're supposed to die a worthy death, not a pointless one. If there's yeah. a situation where you could survive reasonably um, to live to fight a more, uh, like a bigger, better fight, then according to the Slayer Oath, you should flee. Yeah, an important fight, I think, is the important part of it. If you're just giving your life for no reason other than there's a fight over there, then you have failed your oath. Yeah. Like, oh, it's there's not a, just about battle. It's not just a, about dying. Yeah, there's a patrol of a hundred storm vermin passing us. We could hide <laughs> and let them pass, or the slayer could leap into them. Well, if you leap into them, you fucking failed as being a slayer, and you're gonna wander the afterlife forever. Good job. Because that, <laughs> that slayer will die. He will maybe have killed maybe five, six, or seven of them if the slayer is lucky, and it will make absolutely no impact. That patrol will carry on, and that patrol will continue to do whatever it was doing. Your death has had no impact. It was not a worthy foe. It was just a normal skaven. So yeah, being aware of that does does hopefully make playing them a bit more interesting and useful. Slayer micro. <laughs> slayer, it's a tough job. Someone's got to do it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, all right. You ready to get into questions? questions? Yeah, yeah, let's get into the questions. So, our first question from Resolve What is the worst thing a dwarf has ever done to be forced to become a slayer? And what is the silliest thing a dwarf has done to become a slayer? Um, my answer to that is there is no forced. Yeah, no. You, you cannot be forced. Like, you literally cannot now you might you might do something that the every other dwarf thinks is absolutely unacceptable um but if you personally don't there's no real force in this dwarf psychology is not like human psychology though they're not going to just personally justify shit just because you know that's what's best for them that's not how it works their pride their fundamental dwarven nature will get in the way oh, that's out fucking huge just before we get to that though yeah hey sam uh we already have giblet the dwarf as the most failed slayer to ever live oh i'll talk about some hilarious failed slayers here in a second and i would just like to say turnip thanks so much turnip bandit you rock yeah jesus christ great now i'm gonna have to send open a paypal for andy after this <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. hey, so I just want to say thank you for all the years of lore and videos. Uh, you've made so many shifts at work, so much more bearable is only fair. Uh, and Andy, I love your Lawhammer series too. Have a great day, oh, guys. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We man. are having a great day. It's not, not, not even a question there. Thank you. That's very <laughs> generous. Um, yeah, and yes, let me just watch. I agree. Yeah, holy shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, I will say the the worst crime I know of from a dwarf perspective. The worst crime is kinsling. Hmm. If, if through like an act of passion or anger or drunkenness or something, if a dwarf kills a fellow dwarf, I would say it is exceedingly rare they do not become a slayer. Yeah, I, I broadly speaking agree. I can't see how there's any outcome where that wouldn't be the case. Um, I can murder um, between no, just no. Yeah, so uh, Tommy Bravo in chat uh, actually brings up an interesting point of in Total War, there is an event about Slayers. However, the event Total War is not about making a dwarf take the Slayer Oath. It's not that. It's letting a dwarf take the Slayer Oath. And that the event is about there is a dwarf who has a high po position within whoever your faction is who wants to take the slayer oath for some reason and you as the king have the option to try and forbid him because you do not want to lose his services and you also 
are worried of who he might take with him, which is a genuine dilemma that could happen in a hold. If you are a Warhammer vampire, who do you least want to fight? <laughs> <laughs> who do you least want to fight? Uh, I would probably say Buffy, to be honest. <laughs> as yeah. goofy as it is. Yeah, Buffy has plot armor. So yeah. uh <laughs> plot armor, yeah. plot armor plus plus like Buffy actually fights a lot of vampires, to be fair. Like for a dwarf, a vampire slayer is actually technically a tier. Very rare tier, but it is a tier. Oh, yeah, in the army list, you get yourself the option for like vampire slayer, skaven slayer, or whatever. And it effectively yeah. means the more that are in base base contact with you, the more that you can just lay out with multiple attacks, mincing everything. Which yeah, is super fun. yeah. There's there's a really cool system in the Storm of Chaos book where like there's all these different kinds of slayers, and mm -hmm. each kind offers different bonuses and incentives. So like yes. a vampire slayer is particularly gifted against the undead, and also like really heavy infantry characters. Who are like very very specialized whereas like a great you know demon slayer is very good against creatures that have magical defenses and big demons uh dragon slayers are very good against creatures with lots and lots of wounds and high armor um giant slayers are very good against things that have lots of wounds but virtually no armor etc uh scaven slayers are good against large hordes yada 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 oh, it's good fun good times. Uh, and what's the silliest thing a, a dwarf has ever done to become a slayer I don't think that <sighs> frivolous or silly really goes hand in hand with the Slayer Oath. Yeah, no. Um, I, I, externally, you could see all manner of things and think of them as uh, just unacceptably minor. Um, because for some dwarves, what is personally for them utterly unacceptable. Externally, you'd be just like, I got one. They just lost a business deal. Why are you upset? Yeah. Uh, the, the silly, from a human perspective, the silliest one I can think of is there is a dwarf who loses his ancestral recipe for, I think it's beer. Um, like they are a brewing family and he loses the family recipe. Doesn't like, seem silly to me. I mean, that's slayer. Well, yeah, but like, you know, from a human perspective, be like, all right, yeah, get over okay. it. Like, you're, you'll why, be fine. Why would you just effectively do the equivalent of committing suicide just because of that? Yeah, for but a dwarf, for it's them, like. It's Oh my fucking god! Yeah. Like it's, Honor. it's bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super big. And then, um... all right, Hammond. <laughs> you know, um, as as <laughs> sure, sh sure, yeah. You know, sure. Let's go. You know, I I look forward to hearing how your GM is dealing with your your PC, Hammond. <laughs> <clears throat> hey, GM. Here's my backstory. <laughs> um, I, I will say that in more general my dwarves for my game and admittedly that's for my game have a far different version of how sexuality is uh, expressed in comparison to the other species elves who are far more sexually intimate uh, humans who lie somewhere in between and dwarves that sit in a slightly different realm but in general yeah, there's definitely something there that can be discussed yeah also fun fact uh, if you ever want to look for hilariously way too sexually active dwarves that sleep with lots of non-dwarfs uh imperial dwarves have some hilarious stories uh, because do. like they grow up around humans so they have yeah. a very different perspective on things um mm -hmm. henry harm what is the main difference oh oh gosh what is the main difference between norse dwarf berserkers and slayers do the berserkers also swear an oath that is actually a really so interesting that's a really really interesting one yeah and the last bit and a nitty-gritty question of that before yeah. andy goes because i know I, I feel like i know what's gonna say i just want to throw in my bit of that are they different yes i i think they're 100 different and that berserkers are genuine warrior class that norse and dwarves have adapted because of their relationship with the norse those two have reflected on one another uh, i would actually argue possibly many of the other way around 
Yes, uh, I would actually argue that the the southern Norsecan tribes in particular are often far more palatable um, and easier to trade and deal with because they had that relationship with the Norsecan dwarves. Hmm. Um, and so they're a lot more amicable to things like trade. Um, that being said, do they swear an oath? Fuck yeah, they do. Um, yeah. Now, the oath is very, very different, but they absolutely do. So um, uh, I am going to basically agree and say so what's the main difference they are two completely different things one is swearing an oath because their life has fallen apart the other one is a berserker a warrior who presents in a particular fashion do they swear their own oath i think the answer to that almost certainly is yes um as to what that oath is or how it should be expressed as it currently stands that's going to be down to individual people deciding for their own games yeah i mean think and think of it this way like um hammerers and iron breakers have very particular oaths that are part yeah. of their career of yeah. of like as a hammer or an iron breaker you have a deep oath you have to swear about the things you're defending because if you fuck up it could be awful. It, it it could end a hold. So like uh, berserkers could have a very similar type of oath, but it presents in a different way because they're more offensive, but it's still the same idea. Yeah, yeah I agree. Hey, Commander, great to see you there. Shall we shout it? <laughs> uh, no, because I don't, our mics will not, will not thank us. Uh, so is a demon slayer really a greater demon slayer or is a beast of Nurgle enough? Also is a wyvern or jabber slight considered a dragon for a slayer? I would say no and no. Uh, agreed. Um, loosely speaking, what you're looking uh, at for an answer here is what did Grimner do? Because that's a nice way to immediately look at it. And what did Grimner do? He went north to slay the Chaos Hordes. It's all of them. I think greater demon, lesser demon, the whole lot's combined into actually something a bit different. It's heading north and taking on the demons. If you're looking, though, for the precise way that it's expressed often in the rules, it's greater demon, absolutely. As for wyverns, jabber slives, any other creatures in general, you're just a killer of something big. But did you kill a dragon like Grimner did? And if the answer is yes, it's time to grab its claws and scarify yourself all over. That gets dropped in a couple of pieces of lore as well because you've taken that next step along in the path of Grimner, so to speak. I'm quite liking calling it the path of Grimner. It's amusing me. Yeah. Um, uh, well, so, and, I'll, and yeah. I'll say that dwarves are not stupid. They are mm -hmm. very keenly aware that there is a notable tier difference between a Jabberslide and a Wyvern and a fucking dragon. Mm -hmm. Dragons like tabletop and total war have to do things to make the game fairly fair and balanced. Dragons are so much more fucking scary than most other monsters. Yeah. Like they are yeah. virtually imper uh, impervious to most forms of damage their flames or whatever the fuck they breathe is insanely deadly and they're big ancient clever motherfuckers mm -hmm. um especially the ones in the old world who are mean they are mean do not mix them up with the creatures of the forest which are often little more than big animals um yeah. they are not big animals they are almost the exact yeah, opposite yeah. don't get me wrong killing a, a slayer killing a wyvern or jabber's like that is impressive but i would say that's oh, more really like that's, that's like that's like a giant slayer not a dragon slayer <clears throat> hey raging pacifist thanks uh how does fighting the dawi czar feel for a dwarf do they acknowledge them as kin is there a way for them not to take the slayer oath after interacting with the dawi czar in any way uh mm -hmm. okay so first of all go read road of skulls by uh david geimer it features dwarves versus chaos Wars. it's fucking awesome he does a great job with it how does it feel sickening um it's not a good feeling most dwarves don't even like to think about the fact 
a chaos dwarfs exist because acknowledging they exist acknowledges that a dwarf can fall to chaos, which yeah. to them is a deeply ups upsetting idea. Um, I mean, it's, it's fundamental to their character that they won't do anything that they don't want to do. And that is what hurts because these are dwarves who have chosen to do the unacceptable. That it's it's literally unacceptable. There is nothing about it that just doesn't twist their souls with absolute abject horror that they could have done this. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. The the hatred the chaos or dwarves feel for chaos dwarves is such a uh, calling it hatred almost doesn't feel right because like they yeah. hate greenskins, they hate Skaven. It is something else when you're dealing with a chaos dwarf because now you're looking in a mirror and it's a mm. really ugly mirror. Yeah, it's proper torment and horror. That, yeah, because because it's it, it is basically saying I could be that. Yeah, because and the goals to, these uh, are kin. Yeah, and for them it is eradicate that from existence at all mm -hmm. cost. Like dwarves right. will go to almost absurd extremes if they know there's a chaos dwarf around to wipe them out. Um, do they acknowledge him as kin? No, <laughs> no. Uh, and uh, no, you don't have to take a Slayer Oath after seeing a Chaos Dwarf. It's a, it's a un very uncomfortable and unpleasant experience, but it doesn't besmirch your honor unless yeah, you yeah, like so made a deal with them or something. Um, I, I will say though, um, they acknowledge them as kin is different to accept uh, being aware that they are kin. Yeah, they, they know are they're dwarves. literally kin. They are dwarves, yeah. but do they acknowledge that? They will acknowledge nothing. Ugh. Yeah, and uh, if you ever want super big drama, putting a dwarf and a chaos dwarf in a room and having them yell at each other is hilarious because of how they interpreted the events that led to the chaos dwarfs becoming it. Because the chaos dwarf saw it as you betrayed us, we did yep. what we had to to survive, and the dwarf said you you were gr arrogant and greedy, and you should have died like a proper dwarf. You um, just died. Yeah, and it's it's ugly. Um, uh, to cannon nerd. Would a Karak like Kalas a Karak or Kalak Draz at its peak be comparable to Marienburg in size, or would it be comparable to an entire kingdom? Just in general, what is the scale of the Great Karaks? Not technically about Slayers, but I'll allow it. Andy, you want to take that? Yeah, okay. So loosely at their peak, um, we already have some general numbers which have been thrown around in various books at various points. But you tend to find that the roleplay numbers for dwarves are scaled down much lower than the Warhammer numbers, which are scaled higher. For example, if we look at Karak Kadron as it currently stands, there is more than one source that says literally thousands of slayers. Mm. On top of that, we have all the actual population of the hold itself, which is also significantly high in thousands. But if we move towards their peaks, yes, we're talking to the peak of its civilization, bigger than Marienburg, very likely. Particularly if we go all the way back to the very beginning, when we're talking high society with old one technology, with dwarves that probably look nothing like or act anything like what you would expect if you were just to look at them in their modern iteration before they are dropped by the old ones. But even at their highest society that collapsed, it would have been big yeah, and it was shattered. Yeah, I think there's something that says something like like the the main like the ground level of Karasakarak is bigger than Altdorf. Hmm. And there's like another 12 deeps under that that are all the same size. Like dwarf holds are fucking like the old the really original big. one. Yeah, I will say like the holds you'll find like the middle mountain and the black mountains, not as much because they're more recent, but like the old holds, fucking huge. Yeah, the original holds um are are massive and are so massive in fact there's probably more lost within them than has actually been reclaimed I would um, agree. truly huge 
uh raging pacifist super chat uh let's see it hasn't arrived at my side yet oh, got it. Oh, there it is <laughs> uh would slayers be welcome at barakvar uh not any more or less yeah, than yeah. anywhere else now uh, you're probably asking that because of long Drong and his slayer pirates yeah long Drong does not live in barakvar i would say like long Drong built his ship which i'm sure was a whole thing and controversial but uh after he left he picks up slayers slayers join him but he doesn't go back to barakvar very often yeah. if at all I'll also add another pieces of obscure lore which may not be very well known by many of you out there in man of war there was the dwarf nautiluses um and dwarf nautiluses are basically submarines yep uh, the submarines were often crewed by slayers as well because the job was seen to be so dangerous but also so essential for providing an advantage towards the dwarf let's say uh water maritime uh development of the seas for them um and loosely speaking if you died in a nautilus you were dying in battle unless it just happened to collapse <laughs> yeah <laughs> which many of them did because yeah. hey it's an underwater ship um but yeah the, if you uh are, were taken out through the course of a battle that would be considered a sea battle that is uh, a proper way of resolving your slayer role yeah, it's it's interesting that actually almost kind of takes the Slayer Oath from the perspective of like you are potentially furthering a war effort or a technology in a way the dwarves need desperately. I can't so like, do um, because of the very nature of what a dwarf is. The idea of a kamikaze, for example, if we're to look at ancient history and well, ancient history, relatively recent yeah, history, yeah. in the real world, is antithetical to how dwarfs work. They just would not do that. However, they would do an equivalent to a degree with say the nautiluses that they had hey hammond what are you saying there so unrelated but i'm forgetting to ask this every stream tordrick hackhart is a chaos dwarf of the big four slash general chaos and not hash it right what do standard dwarfs think of him okay so i'm gonna real quick tordrick hackhart from uh the dreadfleet expansion he is one of a very small number of chaos dwarfs who are not hash it chaos dwarfs they are normal chaos dwarfs um, with the parentheses ending after chaos. Um, uh, that being said, Tordrick Hackhart does have a relationship with the Chaos Dwarfs. It's talked about in the Dreadfleet books and stuff, where he has pulled into the ports of uh, the Chaos Dwarf Empire up uh, the, near the mouth of Ruin, which is where the, the river Ruin exits into the, the, the ocean over by the Dragon Isles. Yeah. Um, and he, it is from them that he mastered the arts of creating a demon engine, which is how he, he finalized his big Kraken thing. Um, but there are a number of dwarfs who exist out there who have uh, fallen to chaos. They're exceedingly rare, but they do exist. Uh, Vermintide introduces one who supposedly forged uh, a set. Uh, he forged the weapon called Blight Reaper, which is a demonic blade of Nurgle. Uh, he's a dwarf that fell to Nurgle specifically, and he forged a set of rune blades for him. However, there's some contradicting lore that actually says it was... Um... Oh, no. Uh, yeah, there's some contradicting lore that talks about... I think it says that it was Alaric the Mad, like right at the end of his life, forged seven Chaos rune blades, because one of them is owned by Dieter Helschnitt need to check that when i don't recall that yeah um, um but there, there's like there's contradictions all over the place there is um particularly uh, for chaos dwarves in general yeah but like i would say like the number like i have read so much fucking lore and i'm talking even with old lore the amount of mm -hmm. non-hashic chaos dwarves i've read about i can count on one hand 
Yeah, so um, um, originally all Chaos Dwarves were Chaos Dwarves in that they worshipped um, Chaos Undivided and the Four Great Powers, and they were strongly associated with Chaos War Machines. That got almost entirely overwritten when it got its own army list, and the Chaos Dwarves then became the Dwarves of Hashat. Um, the idea that they were allied to Chaos, were a part of the Chaos Army, stuck. The idea that some of them may indeed worship some of the other Chaos Gods also stuck, in a little bit of a similar fashion that in the Empire, most folks are aware that Sigmar is the primary deity, but there's lots of other gods too. So they're gods that are possibly still accepted. There might still be shrines around, but they don't worship them per se. Hashat is their god. They respect them. They are the gods of their allies. They are the gods that are out there. So some of them, yes, clearly do Um go and worship other chaos gods in particular it's a part of the lore and i think if we did a big treatment for the chaos dwarves you would find they were a far more complicated and deeper society than just the hashat worshiping version of chaos dwarves presents because in the end that almost feels monolithic and what is required for an army list not what's required yeah for a i would society. i would counter argue those sects would probably have to be secret because hashat with his aspect of tyranny does seem to very much <laughs> encourage them to look down on the other gods. They are yeah, a resource I, to be exploited, not allies. And I think that that's almost certainly going to be the case, but I think it would, um, uh, the, would be interesting. Would, yeah, there would be an aspect of ensuring that there would be some of it involved. Yeah. Uh, we have a question from my, from my GM, uh, hey! our Sunday games. uh, how does the Skaven Slayer, uh, Barum Gunderson from children of the horned rat get past the no armor rule? Is it just him ignoring all the other dwarfs? I can't remember that bit. <laughs> okay. I need to go check that one. That's from children of the horned rat. I haven't read that book for a wee wily. Um, my answer is I can't recall. Um, I'm going to presume that, um, good old Barum Gunderson's in, in armor. That's from second edition. So, um, uh, that suggests that uh, whoever wrote that section, I'm going to guess Steve D, um, has just decided that that one's got armor. <laughs> yep. Now, if I was going to be redoing that character, I would do one of two things if I was updating it for the current lore. Either I would give him a separate oath, which meant that he had to wear armor for one reason or another. That complication of oaths we've already got established inside the setting, which allows you to do that sort of thing. And I think that's a neat way of doing it. Or alternatively, I just ditch the armor. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it would be fun to explore more characters that have contradicting oaths because yeah, it wouldn't be just too. be a king. There'd be other dwarfs too. Yeah. Um, uh, as I said, for my game, I'm going to be adding a good like about uh, 20 different like, oaths. Just off told. the top of my head, imagine you have a dwarf who like swore to his love that he'd always wear like a gift she gave him. Like he swore like he'd always keep it on him to protect him. And then she I dies know. and he becomes a slayer. But he's like, I have to keep wearing it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, uh, all right. Uh, Chicks Fixer, has the dwarf ever renounced the Slayer Oath because later on became apparent they didn't? Uh, we covered this. We covered, covered. this. Yep. Uh, thank you for the question, Chicks Fixer. Uh, Nerd again. Uh, could a good enough Slayer, one too good to die, end up traveling north and meeting with Grimnir other than Godrek? And was that the intended effect of the Slayer Oath to generate warriors good enough to march the chaos waste? I think that that is a potential outcome of it, but I do not think that that was the intended effect. I think, though, that if you look at the Dwarven Psyche as a whole, it is an inevitability to a degree, and that Grimner, being somewhat aware of this, may have purposely set it up. There's an argument for that, but it's certainly not stated. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Vigga clarifying in the chat that he was an Ironbreaker before he became a Slayer. 
Ah, there we go. We've got probably a conflicting oath, and that's yep. why I'd run for. Thanks very much for um, remembering that, because I couldn't recall that section. Yeah, if he's an iron breaker, I could definitely figure out a way that he could have a conflicting oath there. Yep. Uh, Maharaja of End asks, are there any known uh, written female slayers aside from uh, Gringi Heldenbrand, who I believe is from 3rd edition? Um, and is her attire archetypical, archetypical for female slayers? And I'm looking at the artwork, and I would say close enough like we're gonna have to go look at the artwork here, I, will, I don't recall the artwork i will i will post it in the uh i'll post it in the chat i post it in the chat so everyone can see it oh i'm stupid maybe i should post the actual link there we go that way everyone can go yeah. look at it yeah indeed I'm, I'm just looking okay yeah no i remember that piece of art that's actually very similar to how i that's fascinating Okay, so I did an image for a female slayer about 25 years ago. It was a long time ago. It was when I was very first trying out digital art. It's not a good mm. image. It's not a this good image at all. This the Doomseeker game. Uh, this was um, a game. You remember Doomseeker? I do remember Doomseeker. Yeah, this huh. is from the board game. There uh, we the go. Board, yeah, it got, it got released like not that long ago. Okay, I'm finding this very interesting because it's almost the same sort of attire I went for, except for I went for stripy trousers and far too long legs. It's almost identical. It's weird. Um, except my <laughs> one is much, 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 much uglier. Um, she she has been through the wars, my one, um, where this one almost looks pretty. Classic piece she of... She just started. Girl. She just she started. To look pretty, <laughs> um, so to cut a long story short, I mean, that's that's good enough. Um, we don't have armor. We've got someone who's um, uh, doing all the relic. That's fine. Looks good to yeah. me. Yeah, but like, don't don't let what art exists hold you back. Slayers, there's they are all they're a motley bunch. There's some really yeah. weird looking ones. Like, go crazy totally. with it. And keep in mind, they're literally fighting the hardest things they could find. They would be messed up looking. Yeah, scars. Totally like wounds all sorts of nasty shit I, i'm i'm actually just on the flair i drew somebody posted that on facebook literally today um oh. and i hadn't <laughs> seen that piece of art for over 15 years because i lost it in a flood the original so um it's a really small version of it. it's tiny and it's really bad it's not a good image so i apologize for anyone that runs off to the warren fantasy roleplay for facebook groups and goes to look for it um but i'm going to probably do a new version of it just because i'm glad that it still exists i can update it i read the runes on its axe and it says my name uh, um, Hunter, it, thank you very much for the super chat. Can a dragon ogre be in Vermintide realistically? Absolutely. Uh, do the devs do the devs want to design a dragon ogre? Probably not, to be honest, <laughs> because it'd be very different. Like the the way its skeleton is designed, because it's a centroid, would mean they'd have to build Hard. it from scratch. So it'd probably be too much work. Um, much more likely, we will get undead or Nurgle demons uh, sometime in the future. Sam Alden, would Grimner's yeah. quest to close the Northern Gate could have actually worked? No. So it did work, but. Okay, <laughs> did, did the quest the dwarves believed he was going to do could have worked? No, because he actually was doing something else that he succeeded. Totally. Um. So yeah, his he he did succeed. He closes and holds a chaos gate by himself. It's just not the gate that everyone else thought of. Yeah, there was a third gate. Um. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he is such a badass. He literally just stands in it and kills anything that the chaos gods throw at him, and they throw a lot at him over the course of almost 10,000 years and he just keeps holding on because he's Grimnir. Because he's Grimnir. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chaos Dwarf Slayers says in Saints, uh, closest thing to a Chaos Dwarf Slayer would be the Inferno Guard. Inferno. Though they're not the exact same. There are some very key differences which we talked about earlier. Yep, yep. Infiltrator of Troy, how permanent is the Slayer Elf? It is permanent. Um, though, fun. Andy, you mentioned you, you, have a, you have a way they could get out of it that is virtually impossible. Um... I've forgotten what I was going to say now. And yes, there is. 
Um, wait a minute. Let me come back to that. Let's bring okay, up. Cool. Um, it's that uh, Rye guy. Well, I go. Oh, I did. I have one. What defines the weapons oh. a Slayer would use? Thought they all chose an axe when they start their journey. You're both great. Keep it up. Oh, so we talked about this at the beginning yes, of the stream. Did. They emulate Grimnir. Grimnir wielded axes, so they choose to wield axes. However, not all of them do. Some of them take weapons that they had in their previous lives uh, with them. So they'll have like a hammer, for instance, or a great hammer or a great axe. And some of them will lose their weapons over the course of being a Slayer and will just pick up whatever the fuck they find. So you might run into a Slayer who has uh, a sword or a rapier or a spear or whatever weird shit because they're like, well, uh, like I like I have always had a funny mental image of like a slayer that finds two pistols, but he refuses to shoot them and just uses them to beat people to death with uh, by holding them reversed because he just that's what he found. <laughs> <laughs> so how could you potentially fulfill a slayer's oath? So this is very much uh, my interpretation of it. Let's not say this is how it sits down because we don't have the actual words for the Slayer Oath. But my interpretation of it <clears throat> is very much the same oath that Grimnir swore effectively, which means should you close a Chaos Gate? There you go. Then the oath would potentially be actually resolved. You know, that's, that's funny because that actually is supported by the lore. Um, because I know, <laughs> yeah, because like Go Gotrek fulfills his oath because mm -hmm. he closes a chaos gate. <laughs> exactly that. So that's yeah. why it's part of my version of it. Although the oath hasn't been properly laid out, so I don't want to say that's definitely how it could occur. But in my version, at least, close a chaos gate. Job done. Wouldn't it be the fourth? No, it'd be the third gate. There's the North Pole gate, the South Pole gate, the gate Grimner closed, and then in the end times, a fourth gate opens up that kills everybody that's true but it, you would it would be any gate because the, the dwarves themselves are not aware of the gate that grimner was heading for no, so oh no no i was i was i was answering a someone was asking oh, was asking grimner's gate the fourth no it's the third strictly speaking that is the third i think isn't it yeah i well i, I mean, can't think of another one there's there's going to be lots of other minor gates opening up all over the place. But that, we're, yeah, that's right. We're oh, broadly for... saying that the gate that Grim Apocalypse Cure Gates is a proper fucking yeah. huge gate that he's responsible for holding. Yeah, like the the Temple City of Zahatek, uh, the Ruin City, also has a Chaos Gate under it, but it's not big enough to cause that kind of scenario. Yeah, it, it's not that if we don't hold this gate, the world will fall. Yeah, and the Lizardmen do a pretty good job defending that one. Yeah. Um, Infiltrator of Troy, I heard that if Adawi shames himself and doesn't take the Slayer Oath and die a glorious death, all of his dead ancestors will be kicked out of Dawi heaven unless another family member takes up his oath and completes it. Are there any cases of Adawi going, maybe I have a dead relative who didn't take the Slayer Oath and died with some secret shame and decide to take the Slayer Oath just in case? Perhaps with the other dwarf having reason? Yes. Yep, that's happened. And I, I would say that the word just in case um, is perhaps yeah, not you heavy enough to express um, the depth of feeling that would come hand in hand with them making the choice to swear the Slayer Oath. Um, it would probably require a lot of proof or belief. Belief is the big one because they'd have to personally think this is my only option. If, for example, they thought there was a possibility of it, their own personal order might mean that they then investigate first, not just, oh, I might need to do this. I better swear it just in case. I, I feel it's a bit too fundamental to be flippantly done. Yeah, and I I see a lot of people asking about in chat. Just to clarify, when we use the term a chaos gate, a gate, gates are massive. They are fucking huge, horrifying things that are, they are massive massive holes in realities through which entire legions of demons can endlessly pour through and they are stable which means they stay open unless there is something that 
forces them shut. A little like blip, like a tear in reality where like maybe an army of demons comes out or a singular demon or whatever. That's just a tear. That is very, very different. Or We're rift. looking at something that is stable. Yeah. An yeah. actual stable will never go away no matter what happens gate. Yeah. Um, the, the gate Grimnir is holding, he is holding it. He has to stay in it. Until all times. until a certain someone comes along to relieve him of duty, but like as long as he, if he's not there, demons like a, a rift a gate will never close unless it is like a crazy what if scenario. So um, if that's uh, right, guy, thanks very much again. We covered this um a fair bit earlier because there are quite a few different types of obscure slayer types many of which are around slayer keep um slayer keep pardon me uh, i can't believe i said that the slayer hold um karakungrip i uh, can't speak i'll let you take over yeah, okay so are there slayer pirates yes long Drong and his slayer pirates um they are a regiment of renown for the uh, dogs of war they're very famous they had hilarious little minis they're all very goofy looking because they have lots of them have ab pouches and peg legs and other goofy things and they carry a fuck ton of pistols because they operate under the ideology that they are here to kill things to fulfill their slayer oath and nothing is nice enough to get close to them so they're gonna fucking shoot it um they're goofy as hell a lot of people deeply deeply love them they are not there's not a lot of them and they are not something you commonly see um mm -hmm. long Drong and the slayer pirates are a particular crew that being said are there slayers to be found across the high seas absolutely yeah. because what slayer hasn't heard of sea monsters Totally. Plus, you've got your Nautilus crews, which we've discussed uh, yes. previously as well. Uh, Karak Ongrim. Yeah. Karak Kadrin. Bloody hell. So, at Karak Kadrin, let's say it correctly this time, there's a variety of other types of seeker, uh, seekers, slayers, like the Doom Seekers, for example. Yeah. But that we discussed earlier on in the stream. Yeah. I will say that, like, would you see slayers on, like, full on pirate ships? Not if they were like the kind of pirates that do some really awful shit because dwarves no. would not be cool with that. Dwarves are not, they are not okay with slavery. They are not okay with a lot of very normal pirate things. Um, they would be willing to go with a pirate crew that, you know, maybe uh, deals with forces that the dwarf is not sympathetic towards. Um, in that case, yeah, no, that's totally fine. But if they're like hurting innocent people, uh, most slayers are not going to be cool with that. You got um as we discussed many times previously in the stream, slayers are not without honor. Do yeah. not think of them in that way. Yeah. If anything, they're more if anything, they feel like they have got more to prove. I think and I think it's worth saying there are dwarfs, they're rare, but there are dwarfs that decide not to care about honor. They would never take the slayer oath because they yeah. don't care. Yeah. They're just they just be regular dwarfs who are assholes, which exist. Yeah, totally. They of absolutely course. exist. But There's assholes um, everywhere. Yeah, but uh, they would never become a slayer because becoming a slayer to them, they'd be like, why? Why would I do that to myself? Fuck that. I'll just do what I want. Um. All right. Is there a uh, Gab Gabara number two? Is there any slayer from? Oh, this is actually a really fun question. Have there ever been slayers from another race like a human who want to try and emulate a slayer? Well, the world is a big and varied place. And yes. I'm sure there's an idiot out there somewhere. There, there has to be a human I mean, who oh no there there's a slayer ogre there is a slayer ogre that exists in the lore he's fucking remember hilarious him. there is where's, where's that one um i'm trying to remember where it's the most. i remember the nipponese one yeah, i remember I, the imperial he, he didn't one. he didn't get a mini 
um, because he was written in a later thing. I can't, I cannot remember what book he's in, but there is a, there is an ogre who witnessed a group of slayers just kicking ass. And he was like, Oh, I love those gits. I want to be like them. Very ogre. So he does the most, like he has no idea what a slayer is, but he copies what they look like. So he has the Mohawk. He wears the same clothes. He approximates their tattoos. He's a very funny character. Um, but that is an ogre thing. Like ogres, if they see someone that they consider particularly fearsome, they will emulate them um, yes, because absolutely. that's how man eaters work. Mm -hmm. um, like there's even, there's a very iconic ogre mini that looks like a woman in a dress um, that is revealed to be an ogre who saw a woman beating the shit out of her cheating husband. And he was so terrified slash impressed by her anger that he decides to dress up like her and he uses a big rolling pin as his weapon because she scared him so much that he's like, I want to be that awesome, yeah. which is hilarious. That's just how ogres do. The ogres are goofy. the ultimate example of an adaptable species. They yeah. adapt. They fit in. So, yes, uh, I would say there are individuals, very rare individuals who see Slayers and go, I want to be like him. Now, if a dwarf saw that person, they would probably not appreciate it. And really not appreciate it because it's almost taking the piss out of what they do i do not think that would go down well at all yeah um but it's just like how there are like humans that worship kane um uh, which is you know kind yeah. of uh, kane is very much um a, a human god um don't think of kane as the elven god um in the same way that um uh you wouldn't say that the god of the sea mathland stroke um, Manan is the same god. They're not necessarily the same, although they 100% I feel, are. I feel like the modern um, lore should do a, like, I feel like the humans should, like, Cain should almost go by a different name when humans do it, or like a different I, spelling I don't think or something. So. Um, I don't think so. I think there's a lot of room um, to uh, accept all of that, but this is somewhere that I think... Anyway, we, we, don't, have, we don't have time for it. That's, slayer yeah, stuff. That's, uh, let's see. <laughs> Infiltrator of Troy. Who was the first Slayer? Grimnir. What was his shame? Uh, we hypo we gave some hypotheses we about believe, that. We believe it's almost certainly that first Chaos Gate. Yeah. Uh, how I would uh, add a small argument. Perhaps that's why Grunny knew that something um, was up because that one opened first. Ooh, yeah, that would be spicy. That would be horribly spicy, and I quite like yeah, that. Yeah, if that, if that set everything off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, uh, uh, how did he die? He didn't, God, you know, God shenanigans. Well, uh, okay, if you actually want the answer to that, he died when the world exploded and or he died fighting a giant fire salamander from hell in Age of Sigmar. Um, yeah. uh, did it catch on without him knowing? I, I think he, I think at some level he knew the Slayer cult was going to happen. I think it's almost certain, given that the nature of the ancestor <laughs> gods is significantly above and beyond the standard dwarf of today, who are, in many respects, seen as a weaker, smaller, less knowledgeable version of what came before. So if we're looking at peak dwarf, yes, peak dwarf was fully aware of how the dwarf psychology works and arguably made those steps that he made knowing what would occur afterwards. Yep. Are there any full writings of the Slayer Oath? Um, I, I want to say no, but I I think I can think of two authors that have attempted to write down bits and pieces of it. Um, uh, David yeah, Geimer tries really hard. Bit. Yeah, David Geimer hits on it pretty hard in Kinslayer, Go Dragon Felix Kinslayer, because there is a Brotherhood of Grimnir character who talks a lot about it. Um, so I, I don't think he does the entire thing, but he does a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, though whether or not you consider that the full thing is your discretion.
yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm fully aware that the novels are the novels. They're not necessarily a representation of what the actual lore is. <laughs> yeah, are there Slayers in 40K? Not to my knowledge. Uh, the the Leagues of Votan just came back. I don't think they have a Slayer equivalent. They might get one because knowing Games Workshop, they're going to be like, oh, if we just make 40K Slayers, that'll be money. So I would not be shocked I mean, if they exist. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I'm actually um, I, to think back to the old Squat Army list that you had for Space Marine, and I'm certain there's something in there, but it's been so long since I played that game, I need to go double check. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. Nerd, have any dwarves ever found out that the time was was caused by the lizardmen? No. Uh, if they did find out about it, though, you could argue it was actually caused by the Skaven, not the lizardmen. Um, I actually think Lord Quex's original ritual was perfect in that it would not have done so much damage to the dwarf empire, and then the Skaven fucked it up because Skaven. Um, yeah. that being said, I don't think the dwarves would also split hairs like that. The dwarves would probably just blame both. Um, if they found out about it, yes, I'm sure they would be very upset. <laughs> uh, yep. Infiltrator of Troy, are there any cases you know where a slayer in pursuit of his oath did something that would call for taking the oath again? Maybe doing something stupid and getting a bunch of allies killed, for example. Now that would suck. Yeah, I, I would say yes. Um, uh, I don't want to spoil it because it's a good book, but if you read Gotrek and Felix orc slayer gotrek has to do something in that book that utterly destroys him yeah um that's the sort of thing that is a deeply personal and deeply religious <laughs> moment in many respects um and i can see a, a large amount of self-reflection balanced off with possibly a pilgrimage to the slayer shrine and karak kadran i can see that being an outcome but retaking the slayer oath I, I could see that occurring under certain circumstances um, where they re-avow themselves, somewhat similar to redoing your marriage vows, for example. But boy, boy, that yeah, would it suck. Yeah, it would suck. It would suck yeah. a lot. Uh, uh, Leganwood, is it theoretically possible for Slater to redeem themselves without having to die in combat? Uh, see Chaos Gate thing that we talked about earlier. It's one potential theoretical route out. Yeah, save the world. Like, make like literally apocalypse scenario and you somehow stopped it and somehow survived mm -hmm. then maybe maybe <laughs> you can walk away from it you can shave off your punk hairstyle and settle down in a farm yep uh mana how long do slayers typically live after taking the oath do dwarves with no aptitude for combat take the oath and then go die gloriously to nameless goblins or the trivial threats what happens if a slayer's death is not considered glorious enough uh how long do slayers typically live a lot of them not very long yeah. um because this either... is actually mentioned in multiple places and multiple sources that many of them don't last the first couple of battles or so where they properly pitch themselves against a worthy foe. The worthy foe takes them out. Yeah, um, especially because, like, you know, being able to determine whether or not you can take something takes a little bit of experience, Practice. but yeah. that experience is going to get you killed uh, yeah. a lot of the time. Um, and uh, yes, we have talked about that. Sometimes a slayer will take an oath and doesn't really know how to fight. And he's too stubborn mm -hmm. and he'll go out and die to something stupid. Um, and that is not good. Um, but remember, there is no correct way to do it. It's all yeah. about your own personal interpretation of the oath that you've sworn. And for some, they will just go, well, that's me now in this current state that I am. I will now find a worthy foe. And they just get it wrong. Yeah. And you have to think that like, different kinds of slayers as well like most slayers tend to go for singular big targets but like doom seekers are like no i want to fight as many fucking things at once as i possibly can mm -hmm. um so i'm gonna go fight hordes which other slayers might see as a meaningless death even though yeah. they might have a dramatic impact on a battle so it's very it's very personal 
yeah, it's very personal. I mean, that that could be seen as an interpretation to allow um, somebody else to get a one-on-one -on -one with someone else. So you're taking out the hordes so they can get to the individual. There's lots of different ways it could be interpreted. Yeah, Agreed. and then uh, for your last question, what happens if it's not good enough? Uh, according to their faith, you don't get to go to the afterlife. You wander a purgatory where you are cursed to be alone and deal with your shame for eternity, which is a pretty raw deal. And to make matters even worse, it's very likely that your kin, should they find out, may also decide that it is their responsibility to continue on your oath. So it's oh, yeah, really, you've doomed your, you've doomed really all your... important that you yeah. fulfill your oath. Yeah, may have well doomed your bloodline. Yeah. Um, is there a great enough feed for... Okay, we that one comes up a lot. Uh, are there... Rune, oh, God. Is there a runesmith slayers? Yes. Uh, and if so, are they still allowed to use runesmithing? Yes. There you go. Yeah, there, there is nothing that says they can't. There's nothing that says they exist, but we have a very clean view of what runesmiths are and what slayers are. And some runesmiths will take on the slayer oath, even though that would be an extraordinary loss. Yeah. Now, what I will say is you probably would not see a rune priest slayer using his rune priest things as far as like the staves that have like runes where they hit them on the ground. They do all sorts Quite. of crazy shit. They're slayers. Um, yeah. Yeah um like they're, they're now would they like still forge their own axes and stuff probably definitely yeah um do slayers ever use unconventional weapons like guns or iron drakes also do slayers ever have pets or something like a dog that may follow them around well it's an interesting couple of questions first guns yes long drawn we got a bunch of pistols yep. and they're all over the place so if, if it's already... if it's designed to allow them to kill something bigger and nastier it's fair game Absolutely. Um, they are all about um, winning battles, but you've got to remember that battle is a broad term. Different people interpret it differently. Just because Grimner did it one way doesn't necessarily mean they'll do the same, particularly if they're a little bit untypical in how they approach things. Um, and what was the second part? Uh, do they ever have pets? I mean, I, they have companions like adventuring parties. I don't see why they wouldn't have a pet. They, they would probably have a weird relationship with the pet, um, to yeah. be honest. Like that's, I don't, it's an interesting uh, one, isn't it? I mean, yeah, if you I try. I think a slayer would feel kind of conflicted about it, but if there was a critter that just kept following them, I feel there are some slayers that would be like emotionally. They, yeah, they, think... they're empathetic enough. They'd be like, "All right, fine." Yeah, if you're looking to emulate Grimner the most you can, the answer would be no. But that's only if that is your personal way of dealing with it. I would say loosely, it's possible but unlikely. Yeah. Do, I will. Dwarves do have some. Could be a good uh, character there. Yeah, the, the, you could have a fun time there, especially yeah. because that Slayer would be very committed to protecting that pet, even if that might cause issues with their oath, which is usually why they don't like having things like pets. Yeah. Um, is because that might cause them to be like, I want to save my dog instead of going to fight this thing, which means I need to fight my way out of here. Yeah. Um, something in that. Yeah. So that yeah, that could be some really fun character conflict. Bring your own human pet, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> Felix, come here. <laughs> Heal. Yeah. Uh, Toucan and nerd. Uh, could you and Andy maybe talk a little bit about rune golems and rune guardians? I would love to. We don't have That's time. A different stream, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we, would, we will happily do that. We will have to do a runesmith extreme at some point where we oh, talk yeah. about like anvils of doom and rune guardians and all the other crazy shit. Fuck um, yeah. 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 You know, it's funny. I guess. I guess you could argue that like remembrancers for slayers are kind of functionally pets in a lot of ways <laughs> um, um, 
Noratio, uh, please show Andy the new female slayers from Age of Sigmar. Have Have you seen those minis? I've seen them already, and I think they're, they're rocking. And they're as gorgeous. I, recall, I think I said something along the lines of about bloody time. Yeah, they're yeah the fire yeah. slayer. The fire slayers are finally getting good. Yeah. They're the I I did not like fire slayers because they were too pigeonholed. They seem like they are finally figuring out how to actually do a range with those. I'm very excited to see how it's going to keep going. Uh, I like their new, I like the new like scale armor they wear where they're like wearing pieces of the monsters they've killed, which is much more sensical. Uh, and now they've got lady fighters and they look fucking awesome. I would, mm -hmm. if I was playing a Wolfric campaign, I had a female slayer. I would use one of those for my character mini. Yeah, um, pretty great. Cool. Great. Uh, let's see. Resurrection is not completely unheard of of Warhammer fantasy, though. I will note that true resurrection is fucking rare. Um, but if a slayer died in battle and he was resurrected, uh, he would that his that would cause problems. Um, I, I think that would cause like I, I feel like a slayer would have to think on that, but I, I if I was a slayer, I'd be like, no, my oath is not fulfilled then. No. Um, I mean, uh, let's just sit, take it as a theoretical question. Um, let's say they could just somehow come back again. Yeah, they're off as a slayer again. Um, because that it has invalidated pretty much everything that they've you done. Remember what we told y'all about dwarves don't cheat? Like yeah. they don't cheat their oaths. That would be cheating yeah. the oath. Like you're you're trying to find a gotcha. The dwarf would yeah. go, that wasn't the spirit I made that oath in. So no. Yeah, that their their own personal horror at um uh being alive again. Yeah. The, done I will note the slayer would probably make... try to kill you. Yeah, it wouldn't go down well. Yeah, if mm. I if I was role-playing a slayer and someone brought me back to life, I would try to kill them. Because like that is that is deeply upsetting to a dwarf yeah. on like so many levels. There would be a lot of tears and a lot of heartache. It would be awful. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Especially if they actually had a worthy death, that would be horrible. Um. Don't do oh, that. No. Don't do that. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. Uh. Side pedals. If Slayer falls on the battlefield, would other dwarves be demoralized uh, by their loss or indifferent? Uh. Most most dwarves would go. I I hope it was worth it. I, I yeah. hope that was I hope that was a worthy death. Good job. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, anyone dying is going to be a hit because that is a hit. But you've got to remember dwarves, different psyches, and as far as they're concerned, if, assuming that it went according to plan, um, that is a worthy death. Uh, what is Reclaimed the greatest? Dishonor. What is the greatest Slayer death you know of in the lore? What is the silliest one you know of in the lore? Uh, I mean, silly from like a very outside perspective. There are dwarves that have literally been killed by things of like they slip and hit their head on something, yeah. Um, which like is is silly from a very very far away perspective, but if you think about it for more than two seconds, it's actually really upsetting. Um, but like you know, people die from stupid shit every day. So do dwarves. Um, Agreed. Uh, but the the greatest Slayer death, Grimner. Uh, I really. Yeah, uh, I would. I, I would say my favorite, I mean, because of the extra levels of tragedy, my personal favorite is Garagrim's. Garagrim's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there have been some slayers. There is kind of a silly one where a slayer did achieve a what you would call a worthy death, where I do believe there is a story where a slayer gets eaten by a dragon, but then chokes it to death. Like the dragon, <laughs> the dragon can't, about that. <laughs> yeah, the dragon literally is unable to swallow him properly yep, and the dragon dies but so did the slayer that's probably the silliest and also one of the best deaths a slayer could get totally that goes down well yeah so that's yeah there you go that's that's, that's a really worthy really good one. 
Uh, Scythe Petals, I've read that questing knights and slayers share a sort of kindred spirit in their fanaticism to reach a goal. Would you agree with that comparison? Would it be an ideal pairing? Warhammer quest, as I recall. Uh, would it be an ideal pairing for a slayer to have a questing knight remembrancer? Um, I don't know about remembrancer because that implies following the slayer around to kind of like chart their death, whereas questing knights have some really specific rules they have to follow. They do. Where they're like, they're not allowed to sleep under the same roof more than uh, one night um, and other stuff like that. Um, I do. I think they would be very staunch allies. Absolutely. Um, and they would be drawn to similar though. Hilariously. I think they would have a kindred, uh, spirit, but I think they would also have some issues and bickering because they would be trying to kill the same things. And both of them would really want that death blow. Um, and would be genuinely upset with one another for kill stealing. Given that, as I recall, <laughs> that particular piece of lore comes from Warhammer Quest and the quest, the questing knight that's in there, as I recall, works really well because in Warhammer Quest, the first edition of it, whoever killed the thing got all the gold. And often the larger things, your whole party was wailing into, but only one person got all the gold for it. And I think that that's a really good way of viewing i think the potential bickering that could go on there between yeah. a slayer and a questing knight that would be a that would actually be a really good dynamic for a party that'd be quite fun um, yeah <laughs> they, you, though yeah they would they would literally yeah. be like a bickering old couple yeah, um, I, yeah. I can see that one working quite well <laughs> uh let's see scythe pedals on average are slayers pretty legendary warriors or do figures like go trek and story skew the view of slayers higher than most uh, i would say it's heavily skewed by specific individuals and other you have to keep in mind other slayers do not like slayers like gotrek and other super legendary ones because they're often viewed as death stealers um because they're so powerful that they can kind of <laughs> they can kind of cause an issue where a lot of slayers are trying to keep up with them which can result in some bizarre deaths yeah um now granted i i'll, I'll put it this way there is a there is a set pair uh, two or three paragraphs in the eighth edition dwarf book, which is purely dedicated to slayers like Gotrek and how yeah. other slayers do not like them. Um, and there are some black library books involving Gotrek where he gets around other slayers and they get very nervous with him around because mm -hmm. they're all scared. He is, they know Gotrek seemingly cannot die. Rumors have gotten around of what he's managed to kill. And they're worried that as long as they are around him, they also will not die. Um, and they will not also get the killing blow. Like, obviously, Gotrek's going to get it. He's way stronger and faster than them. Um, but at the same time, he also seems to know where the big bads are. It's a complicated relationship. It really is. I think that that's it. It's a complicated relationship. And I'd go further and say that in terms of the external dwarves, they're fully aware that if you've got, say, a unit of troll slayers or just slayers in general, that they are fucking kick-ass rock hard. Um, mm. and are generally perceived as such. And if you're looking at the general perception of how troll slayers are perceived, they are perceived as exceedingly tough and exceedingly dangerous. Um, so the general perception is they are that, whilst on the individual slayer perception, it's obviously much more varied. Yeah, there yeah, there are some dwarves that, like, despite the fact Gotrek's a slayer, they admire him because of the yeah. shit he's managed to accomplish, which Definitely. is kind of funny for them. Um, like, there's difficult because they're not supposed to. Yeah, there, there are some genuinely funny moments of like Gotrek meeting certain dwarves and like, oh my God, it's Gotrek. And then being like, ah, but he's a slayer. But like, he also like saved all those dwarves from Karak Doom, but but he's a slayer. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a really weird thing for them because to navigate. He's, because he's sworn the oath of being a slayer, um, he is meant to be no longer 
with honor he is meant to lie out with their concern the answer is obviously not that it's complicated that, that it's that's complicated. the best yeah best way i can answer it yeah um, it and yes i would say the average slayer if you meet a slayer they're probably stronger than the typical dwarf they live much yeah. more physical lives they are purely martial they're ripped um they <laughs> live they they tend to live very very uh frugal lives um so like yeah they're gonna be strong and scary and very well muscled compared to most dwarfs yep agreed um is the reason slayer uh, okay we already answered that um if <laughs> side pedals if you were both slayers what dishonor mm. would cause you to take the oath what kind of crest would you have and what weapons would you wield and what would be your ideal doom so um, i wouldn't yeah i i i I like I don't know, dude. I'm terrified of death. I don't think I could be a slayer. I think I think I would have been the kind of dwarf that I would have been doing everything in my power to wiggle out of that. <laughs> yeah, quite. I'm so um I'm not I a dwarf. Like I, was, I like mouse. <laughs> yeah. If I was a dwarf, um, then there are all manner of things that would lead me to potentially take the slayer oath. Um as a last ditch effort, but I'm not. I'm a human, and that's really all I can think of, and it would never recur. That being said, uh, to uh, just answer your question in a silly way, I would want the really giant crest that Ungrim has in his 8th edition artwork where it's like comically gigantic and there's no way it stands but like that, but it looks Ungrim, so awesome. The Ungrim one's not his hair. The Ungrim uh, one's his helmet. I don't care. Shut up. <laughs> but, uh, like, I it's would just want, his helmet. <laughs> I would want a giant hilarious crest and also just for the sake of how goofy it would be, for my weapon, I would want one of the gun axes from the Streltsy and Kislev. So I'd want the, the axe that is also a gun. That'd like, be fun. Why not? It'd be great. <laughs> one of the conversations that we had behind the scenes was um, the fact that quite a lot of the dwarven artwork showed that um, some of the older dwarves had bald patches or had hair that was beginning to recede. What happens when you're a slayer? Do we yeah, just have a, a, a bit of crest? And then a well, big guy. Hey, I mean, Snorri Snor Nilesbinder just had three nails in his head. <laughs> He's bald. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's definitely something there to consider. But yeah, that, that was a fun discussion. We never bothered putting it in any book, though. Yeah. Um, although I did almost put it in as a joke quote somewhere. You know, I, I, I do think if a Slayer was balding, they would use some sort of something to try and represent Hair the Mohawk. Squig. Yeah. Hair squig. Squig? Oh, my God. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Uh, Islington, does the Slayer Oath have set wording? Yes. Yeah, there is a Slayer Oath. It is not, it's not this like wibbly wobbly thing. There's a very, very specific thing that's based on yeah. what Grimnir said. Um, now, um, there's very little said about it. Some places have attempted to do it, but there is a, there is a few bit and that's, uh, uh, meet death in battle, worthy foe. Those things are definitely in it, but it's clearly much bigger. If you're a GM, uh, take some time and make your own up. If you have a player that's going to become a slayer to make it really dramatic and be yeah, like, you have to, you, you have to cool. recite this. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm almost certainly going to write one for my game at some point, but I don't have any dwarfs just now, so I don't need to really worry about it uh what professions can you see developing fascinating slayer stories beyond get axe run it monster uh all of them all yeah ton uh pinkerton i think i recall something about how there wouldn't be any female slayers because females are just better nope there are nope. female slayers 100 definitely 100 they're they're more rare but that's literally due to just how the population is skewed not not right. because of any like particular cultural thing in my opinion I, I agree completely. Plus, um, the female dwarves have got a different place in society, so their reasons for taking the Slayer Oath is, are going to be different to the far more populous men that are out there amongst the dwarves. Um, so it will still be a deeply personal, honor-based decision, and yes, they do occur. 
Yeah, agree. I I definitely agree. I do wish. I'm just going to bring up that comment because I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't Queen disagree. Helga. If you're ever really bored and you want to look up the lore on Queen Helga, she's awesome. Queen Helga yeah. was a badass. She yeah, has a totally. giant fucking cannon named after her too. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's if if there was one thing I really hope they do with the old world that would be a lot of fun. I'd be nice to have one dwarf hold where the queen, like the king, has died and the queen is just like, eh, I'm just going to stay in charge for a while. It, the whole thing doesn't make a great deal of sense. Sadly, it's um, uh, it's almost a relic of when they were made in the late '80s and early '90s, and they've never really updated it and thought about the processes that exist within dwarf society. It yeah. just hasn't well, happened. I I will say the ultimate thing you have to always remember, guys, that holds back Warhammer Fantasy. It's not that like women are not present anywhere. It's that Games Workshop, especially back then, could only print so many minis, and they didn't want to yeah. make male and female versions of all the minis, and then they wrote their lore around the minis they printed. So that's why it's very male centric because they printed male models and they also had a mostly male audience at the time. Um, Correct. Th things Correct. have obviously changed Correct. a lot since then. And that is reflected in age of Sigmar where we have a significantly different thing. And it's awesome. Like it is the new, new cities of Sigmar, all the special care, all of the special characters of cities of Sigmar are women, which is cool. It's different. It's interesting. Uh, anyway, moving on. Um, blah, 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 blah. Okay. I'm going to skip all this. <laughs> uh, screw uh, it, that the, question yeah, it's it's a great question but it's it's very long and it has a lot to do with like chaos dwarf stuff and i i just we don't have time uh sorry um half crown uh oh that's actually a very interesting question would if when a dwarf woman becomes a slayer would she cut off her braids for the slayer crest or are their braids equivalent to their beard so they have to keep them yes Exactly. Um, the uh, when I did my first Slayer image, which I mentioned earlier, about <laughs> twenty five years ago, I gave her braids on purpose because the braids were the equivalent of the beard, and they would not cut off their beard. So they um still shaved the sides of their heads, and they had the long beard, uh, the long braids that hang down to the other side. When the artwork was created for whatever that game was earlier, they copied that, so it's still there, and that would be broadly speaking my preference if someone does some female uh, slayer artwork later and they don't do that i think they've made a fundamental error yep uh also just r literally a random question i saw in chat uh snoring nosebiter put the nails in his head because he lost all his hair and he wanted to have a crest he literally has nails and he painted them orange um he's a goof um that's not why he got like weird and crazy though he got weird and crazy because he was such an alcoholic even by dwarf standards that he literally had brain damage yeah um it's really sad um, because dwarves can't be alcoholics. A lot of people that are like, "Oh, dwarves, haha, they can drink as much as they want without." Tr That's not true. You dwarves can go too far when drinking. Um, remember, alcohol is technically a poison. It's like your body can handle certain amounts of it, <laughs> but if you go too far, it it it, it will get bad. Um, uh, service in. Um, okay, we're almost done. Uh, what would happen if the heir to the throne was a slayer and the king died before he could change it? Passes down. Does um, oh wait. If the heir was a slayer, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We already talked about that. Yeah, that's literally yep. what has been happening at uh Cadre yes. for years. Uh, uh more... have, I actually I'll, I'll go slightly further. He would have to um swear the oath of kingship um as he stepped up to that particular uh, position. He may choose not to, in that if he's a slayer, he probably shouldn't be hanging around a hold anywhere, he should be fucked off elsewhere. His previous life no longer matters. So I would argue that under most circumstances, they would remain a slayer and would not become king. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, because yeah. there there are many other methods to determine kingship. It's not yeah. unusual actually at all for a, a dwarf king not to have children. Um, yeah. it's it's 
frowned upon, <laughs> but it does happen. Uh, but there are there are dwarves have some very very solid methods in place. I don't for think it's even a frowned upon. I mean, there's there's very limited numbers of women as well, so it's it's going to be an interesting. Well, no, no, no I I don't I only mean frowned upon that like usually there's a lot of pressure on a king or queen to have an heir, uh, because yep, it does yep, make yep. things simpler. Uh, and plus, the clan wants to hold on to power and a bunch of other shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, do the foreign dwarves like those in the mountains of Morn have the Slayer Oath? Well, okay, uh, the dwarves in the mountains of Morn are not really foreign dwarves, so to speak. They left the Karazankor fairly recently in the grand scheme of things. Um, they're probably like the least disconnected of the foreign clans. Norsken dwarves are far more foreign because they were actually cut off for a long time. Um, and I believe they do still have slayers. Um, so yeah, they would still have it in the mountains of Morn. Definitely. Um, uh, let's see. Do we have favorite stories about slayers? I think we've already talked about some really, really cool ones. We have. Uh, Ungrim versus Gotrek make them fight. Um, funny enough, okay. they, yeah, Gotrek would win because Gotrek's literally a demigod. Like, yeah. I mean, as much as it's almost funny to say, um, Gotrek is not a normal dwarf anymore. No, he's a lot bigger, and the books go out of their way to demonstrate it. Like, yeah. and he li- also is literally wielding an axe of Grimnir. Like, he has he one of two axes. Physical example of power creep. Yep, uh, and it makes him so depressed, which is the way power creep should be done on a character. Is they just get sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do the slayers view Grumbrindle? What do they think of him? Is it the same as how other dwarves would feel about Grumbrindle? That's a genuinely weird question that i like because there is some we don't have time you know I'm what so sorry. i think that the best way to answer that would be a grom brindle stream yeah i'm so sorry we don't have time for yeah. brindle is an awesome character he is like a lot really complicated yeah. um great uh, character i think we definitely need to back i'd go back to the malekith stream though if you want at least a starter point in that one yeah uh out of okay so a, a lot of people say three axes the axe that uh, grom brindle do, I'm going to say that I do not think Grommerdel wields actual physical items. I think he wields manifestations of things because he himself is not a true physical yeah, there's an flesh and blood there. thing. Um, that's why there are three axes of Grimnir because one of them's not real and it's uh, Grommerdel's. Oh, no, it's real. It's just well, it's not, not physical. Yeah, it's not It's not one of two. It's, it's not a different. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You know what I meant. <laughs> Splitting hair. Shut up, Andy. Can't <laughs> help myself. Uh, I have this idea that if a slayer dies in honorable combat, their hair returns to normal in the hall. Oh, that's actually a really cute thought. Uh, that if a slayer dies, then their spirit, when they arrive in the ancestors' halls, they look like they did before they transitioned into a slayer. I like that, and I think there's definitely something in that. And if I was writing it fresh today, I'd probably include it because I think yeah. that's a nice detail. Yeah, that would be that would like if you were doing like a little epilogue for a slayer character that dies, finally being welcomed to the halls of their ancestors, and they like no longer look like a slayer. I think that would like a like a better version of what happened with the most recent Thor movie. Yeah, I I, I think there's a lot of uh, prettiness and beauty to be found in that. That's cool. Should yeah. Gelt take the oath for his crimes? <laughs> He's not worthy of the oath. Oh my god, Andy. Uh, uh, Half crown. Oh, I thought they shaved all of their hair off, including their beard. No, 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 no. Even remember, slayers still have honor. Still got to keep the beard. Um, Though, fun fact, if you lose your beard, that is almost a one-way ticket to being a slayer. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, uh, Yeah. 
yeah, if somebody goofs and if an author goofs and writes that a dwarf shaved their beard, that author just fucked up. <laughs> so Sean says, considering Gotrek wields an axe of Grimner, is there a problem if he dies and the weapon is lost to the dwarves? Oh, hell yes. Yeah, but also consider that the weapon had been lost to the dwarves for thousands of years before Gotrek found it. Totally. Also, thanks. Truly appreciated. Yeah, because in the old lore, it wasn't Grimnir's axe. It was just a random axe that belonged to a prince or a thane that dies and Gotrek just happens to find it. But in the newer lore, they were like, no, fuck that. It's Grimnir's axe. And so, Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you'll find with the Gotrek stories, um, they are, uh, they, they span from old lore up to new lore. So you'll find that a lot of the older stories kind of don't really match with where everything yeah, hell, if you ever read Trollslayer, compare the Belagar Iron Hammer and Trollslayer to modern Belagar Iron Hammer. Completely different characters. Completely. When I did the when I did the Belagar movie, that's like three hours of lore. I trying to fit those together was fun. I'll say, uh, like I I did it, but like, yeah, there's I had to update that Belagar because <laughs> yeah. he's and it, it requires it. indeed those books could easily be rewritten for the modern version of it. God, I would, I, be, I would pay be better. I would pay Bill King so much money if he would be willing yeah. to come back and rewrite them. Um, uh, I know he wouldn't, but it'd be great if he did. <laughs> yeah, they, they stand. Um, all right, we've already answered that. Uh, uh, ooh, okay. Uh, Infiltrator Troy, what is the relationship between slayers and the criminal justice system of the dwarfs? If a dwarf commits a crime and he wants to take the oath, is there a provision in the dwarf law that he has to be let go to become a slayer? Or would it be normal for him to still be arrested um, or denied that so that he can be arrested? That is actually fascinating. That's a um, it's great fascinating. fucking question. Really good question. Um, and it's a good question because it's not been properly answered. And that makes it, if anything, even more fascinating because you can have a wee think as to where would the dwarfs land on this. Uh, the Slayer Oath is the ultimate expression of I'm going to abandon everything that came before in an attempt. Oh, gosh. Just saying it out. Yeah, I... I, I, that has not occurred to me. That is a genuinely fast because I've, I've read lots of books where a slayer or a dwarf does something that is kind of like a horrible crime and they yeah. just automatically declare the oath and leave. I've never thought about like, what if the whole didn't want them to? Um, so I think that, yeah, if I was writing it today, perhaps I changed my mind as I actually wrote it down, but if I was writing it today, I would have that as a potential outcome in the same way that, for example, taking the black in Game of Thrones and heading off towards the wall is a way to get out of almost anything. If you wish to take that most fundamental of oaths um, to to effectively repeat what Grimner did, sure, but would you really want to? It's, it's a terrible choice, an awful one, so I'd almost certainly make it that, but we'd have to ensure that the Slayer section was written very cleanly so everyone understood just how awful that would be yeah i mean you can only do it once it's not like you can yeah. run away from being a slayer and just return to your old life or go to a new hole or whatever like you know we kind of talked about that earlier so yeah i would probably do a similar thing but that there's some I, really interesting things that could happen with that it also brings up another um potential point that hasn't been um, brought up and that is what if a slayer probably accidentally let's be honest but commits a crime and how should that be responded to if they get exceedingly drunk and kill someone and it's murder? How do they then get treated? Do they get locked up? They get locked up. I mean, that's stopping them from fulfilling their oath. It's the worst outcome possible. There's all sorts of horrors of law here that I think really could deal with a bit more examination. 
Yeah, I, yeah, like yeah, I, I, I do recall there being some instances in Black Library books where slayers are arrested, but they are almost universally let go eventually. But it's, yeah, it's like they are arrested and they are put in chains and they are taken by transport somewhere super fucking far away, or they're taken down into the depths of the hold mm. where like the underdark is, where like the really bad shit is. They open up a sealed door and say, "Get out." Go, go, yeah. you're on your own. And then they close because the door they're, behind them. They're, they're already effectively outside dwarf law by what they're doing. So how does dwarf law then treat it when they've got them there? Do they just get exiled immediately again? Because effectively by taking the oath, because you're, they wouldn't already, kill you're already taking exile on. You already are exiled. That's the whole point of taking yeah. the oath. So I, 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 I think something in there that I think I'd want to think about it, it, and write out. Yeah, it would, be, it would be, that would actually be a really fun thing to explore. Like even yeah. as an adventure hoax for a party that just happens to be near some dwarves dealing with a slayer that commits a crime, that could be a fascinating adventure hook of like yeah, how yeah, the, yeah. the dwarves are like trying to figure out a way of what we're going to do with this guy. Particularly because it also potentially breaks the oath that they've taken, the oath of um uh, the slayer where, oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut long story short. Yeah. This is complicated and fascinating. Yeah, great question. Uh, Infiltrator yeah. of Choi uh, asking about our favorite slayers. Uh, my personal favorite slayer is uh, Ungrim for me personally. I, I do love Gotrek, but I, I like Ungrim more for reasons. I love Ungrim because um, I used to use him in my Dwarf Army ages ago. Um, uh, however, he was always somewhat... I, I didn't like how the death of his son and him re-swearing it almost made it a joke. Um, and I didn't like how many people reviewed that as a joke. And it always slightly tainted the character for me because of that <laughs> um I, I really liked his son and i liked the story that was being told there but i always felt that it was lacking something a, a true point of interesting motivation it would be fun for example if he'd had a son um and he'd looked at his son and the horror of what was potentially lying before oh him god that would have been even so oh my god that would have been even so yeah, much worse so, <laughs> so I, I like his character because of that not because of the character that he is but because of the potential that the character offers for example for a role-playing game and adding those extra layers of tragedy around it so the whole iron fist tragedy is my favorite yeah i will say i also do really much like snorry nosebiter uh snorry nosebiter is no. ex like uh, he is a joke character but the more you pay attention to him, the more tragic he gets. And you start to realize that like he is a slayer who is not okay with being a slayer. And it's a really interesting exploration of a character. Um, on that, I'll also say I quite like the way Gunner was represented inside the Warm Fancy Roleplay starter set because it added uh, an extra layer and dimensioning. Oh, yeah, dude, the, 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 art, the art of him finding that, that yeah, ring. I'm not going to say it, but yeah. yeah. Ugh, good luck. Yeah, that where was a he's good just one. yeah, that art the artist <laughs> killed that. Like the expression on his face where he's just like, This shouldn't be here. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was Scott Hardy. I'm looking at it right now on my screen. Don't play, fact, don't you, play the starter if, set. If you look at the reflection just behind me to the side of my point about <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I, I, there, I there, there it yeah. is. That's the piece of art right there reflecting on my screen. Uh, uh yeah, okay. Uh we're almost at the end here. La, 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 la. We have a, a Hammond, really? What if Gotrek became a witcher? Magic and all. Well then he'd be um, a chaos dwarf or he turned to stone. <laughs> <laughs> um if that happened within the Warhammer world, he would no longer be Gotrek. Um he would not accept such a thing. Yeah, I also like I I as I've <laughs> having played I have 100 percent of the Witcher 3. Loved it, awesome game, awesome storytelling, awesome world. Um However, I even with how much drama and all that cool stuff there is with the Witchers, I do not think they are even close to the amount of self-loathing that Gotrek has. Yep, agreed. Like a, a lot of people are like, oh, Gotrek's like the uh, Geralt. No, 
No. Gotrek does not enjoy his life. No. <laughs> uh, he is very, very sad. Um, I don't I don't think he would en- I- Gotrek would not enjoy anything about the Witcher universe. It like no. <laughs> he's he doesn't enjoy things. Like he's just not a happy guy. Um he, he's sad. That's the whole point. Um, that's and there's listen, there's a very deliberate reason why every single Gotrek and Felix writer that has ever lived has never written a book from Gotrek's perspective. There's a reason for that. Um, and the point is, is you're not you're only supposed to get glimpses into how fucking sad he is. Mm, totally. Um, anyway, like even his anger is like it's not it's not the rage of like anger it's the rage of depression and it's also fucking sad stating one last thing the go trek stories are all written from an unreliable narrator so hey i, I refuse to accept that <laughs> <laughs> well it allows for all the things that it gets wrong. that's true that, that that is true that is true and like and i will say they've, they've even carried that tradition on into aos where like all the go trek books are from a different perspective they're never from go trek's perspective mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. And now he's a fucking god. He refuses to admit it, but he is a god. And it's super funny, and I love it. I know was but then, too. I know, yeah. But now, like, he's getting actual worshippers, and it's so funny how much he hates them. <laughs> the people that worship him, he hates them. It's so good. Um, he's like, he. I saved all these people's lives, and they're like, oh, thank you. And he's like, shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> Get away from me. <laughs> so good. Gotrek doesn't like his groupies. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dr. Enigma, I heard somewhere that Slayer are considered dead the second they take the oath for all intents and purposes. Uh, does this mean next of kin get all belongings? Do they do funerals? All that kind of stuff. Uh, so, legal, I'd say legally you're dead. Yes. Yeah, all the artifacts, the bits and pieces of their life are just passed on to their kin because they're no longer important to the Slayer. The Slayer takes their weapon and pretty much fuck all else. Yeah. Um, I don't think oh, there's yeah. usually a funeral funeral, but you are no. mourned as if there was a funeral. Yes. Yeah, many will mourn you, and it's just because of the loss. They, they will be literally grieving that you have left their lives completely, almost certainly left the hold, never to be seen again. They don't hang around like a bad smell. They go. They have now got completely different business. Their life is completely different. Some of them might go straight to all the way up to the other holds. Others may go off searching their death in the most unexpected places, but hanging around? Nope. Yep. Um... Raging pacifist says, "Oh, thank what you. would happen if a slayer became an oathbreaker, either willingly or otherwise? They're going to be really upset. Yeah, they're already exceedingly upset, and their honor is already blackened and <laughs> I mean, in a terrible place. Yeah, um, and willingly or otherwise, it's just going to add to their already significant torment. It will make them rather unhappy. I will say, it is unfortunately not crazy uncommon for that to happen." Of that, what what like a slayer's life of you leave your hold and you're searching around to go fight monsters and stuff that can often lead to oaths they might have made that they have no intention of breaking, becoming broken as a matter of circumstance, yeah, due to them um, not being there. And I'll also add that there is definitely a difference between the oaths that are sworn almost before the gods themselves, the ancestors. Yeah, when, like you're, when you're making when you're making an oath and joining the cult of the slayer note the word cult it's directly associated with grimner himself that's quite different to just an oath saying you know i'm going to look after you chuck of course i will i promise to do that oh oath of the slayered my way out of all of that i'm now 
forgetting my previous life. I'm in a different place. The Oath of Kingship, by comparison, is one that's almost probably sworn before Valea herself, meaning, or perhaps Grunjani, depending upon which version you want to look at, but it's sworn before the ancestor gods because you are, in many respects, representing them on behalf of your people and ensuring that they will be the best protected they possibly can be. So again, that's an oath that almost overrides any other oaths you've got going because you're swearing it before the ancestor gods themselves. Yeah. So I think there might be a certain hierarchy to concern, consider here, but that's, again, down yeah. to personal I, I would say, though, for that for that slayer, it is probably still very personally traumatizing that they oh. are having to violate all of those personal oaths that are just not important anymore compared to the slayer oath. Of like, yeah, you, had, oh, you, you, you had an oath of marriage or you had an oath of being a parent or you had an oath to your clan or to your craft or any of that stuff. And you have to leave all that behind now. That's going to that, I'm sure that bothers them immensely. I agree completely. Uh, let's say, uh, OK, we don't have time for that question, though. John Elias, appreciate the question. Don't have time for it because it's very like us trying to come up with things. And we, sorry, we just don't have time. Um, mm -hmm. Grumbert, the ancestor. Uh, we answered that one. Um, we answered that oh okay that is a good question of uh in kalakadran being that it does have a lot of slayers uh how does that work with how the hold is designed Do the, are the slayers separated from everyone else in the hold do they have their own section of the hold or are they intermingled with the rest of the regular dwarfs right so given what we know of it already i would suggest that they are probably broadly separated yeah i would say the shrine of grimnir pretty much has everything they need um yeah. which is why it is so fucking massive yeah yeah, almost certainly. If you if I consider how it would be laid out and what's going to work best for ensuring that the king who is organizing all this, because it was organized, um, can best ensure that society, the society of that, they're going to separate them, no doubt. Yeah, and that is probably why if no you've doubt. ever looked at some uh, art that's been drawn up for Kalat Kadrin, it normally has like kind of like a smaller side entrance and that could very well yeah. be where the slayers are supposed to go in and out. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Jiggy, do slayers slay? Of course they do. Do you see that hair? Of course they slay. <laughs> uh, Barbaric, are there different tiers of slayer? Yes, we've answered that. We've covered that. Oh, uh, the, okay. He actually means in the sense of like, uh, is it, are there like different tiers of oath because you did something worse than another dwarf? And the answer is no. There's just one of them. Nope. It, and it's all, the worst. It's an equal. Yeah, it is. It is the worst. There's only one layer because you cannot go any lower. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. just like how for just like how you can't get any deader than dead you know mm -hmm. if you're dead you're dead that's all there is to it uh starn could a slayer be released from their oath and returned to society under the right circumstances no no uh even even if a slayer were to save from the apocalypse i don't think they would be welcomed yeah starn just to actually complete your one there even if they're falsely accused or framed we covered that inside the warm fancy roleplay starter set so the answer is no yeah it's tragic yeah. Uh, all is dust is there slayer uh, 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 there's slayer cavalry um <laughs> hypothetically sure uh yeah. realistically probably not it's it's because it's not dwarves don't ride on creatures because like it's against the law they're profoundly uncomfortable with it dwarves like being they grounded. use tech they use tech yeah they well and like they're the way their bodies are designed they're very squat like they are built for fighting with their feet planted on the ground and um, if you just look at what perhaps was their old one goal, it was probably to kill those sort of things anyway. 
Yeah, and so also like they, they just are antithetical to the whole concept of taking monsters and big things and jumping on their backs. They'll use ponies down their mines and they'll use them as beasts of burden, but that's about the limit of it. Yeah, I will. Say, the closest thing you'll ever get to Slayer Cavalry is Makasai Makasin up in his uh, airship. There's yeah. your Slayer Cav. <laughs> that's your Slayer Cavalry, um, or long drawing on his boat. There yeah, yeah there, there you go. They're riding on something Go technically. On. Uh, yeah, there all there are some rather hilarious notes that dwarves really don't like the idea of riding on any kind of animal because they don't trust them, and dwarves are very big on reliability, and they think animals just can't be trusted to that level. They're like, I, I saw that human get thrown off by a horse. That would never happen to a dwarf because we'd never get up on that thing. <laughs> um, and uh, can you become a god slayer in your dreams? Absolutely, in in your in your hopeless of hopes. <laughs> I'm a little bit surprised that hasn't been written yet. Is there no God Slayer for Age of Sigmar yet? Not, not yet, but it oh, really seems man. like... That's it, what they should have. It yeah. really seems like he's working his way up, though. I'm going to be yes. honest. <laughs> Definitely. God Slayer should be one of the... Shard um, Dragons exist? Yeah, but Shard Dragons are not cavalry. They are monsters that are controlled by runic collars that were forged in the absolute golden age of the dwarves, and they take a lot of magic to control by a very powerful rune lord who actually understands how the rune of domination works, or the master rune of domination, which is a handful of individuals. Uh, shard dragons in a dwarf army can happen, but it takes a lot of circumstances to align. <laughs> We're not talking about the typical outcome. Yeah, uh, just like rune golems. Like, rune golems don't work anymore unless there's pretty much a storm of magic present or the end times are happening or something, because there's not enough magic in the world. There needs to be more magic. And also, the Master Rune of Control is very fucking hard to use. Um, see, the War of Vengeance trilogy, when a Rune Lord who knew how to use it, tried and he turned to stone because he couldn't control it. Alright. That is all the questions. Uh, thank you all so much for watching. Uh, we hope you had that fun. That was a really good one, yeah. Yeah, I was super pleased with that. Um, lasted the perfect amount of time. A lot of really, some awesome questions, too. There were a couple really there good that ones. I'm, I'm uh, almost a little stunted by. Um, so, uh, thank you all so much for joining us. We really appreciate all the super generous uh, tips and donations and stuff. You, I will, oh, I will immediately open super, uh, pay Pell and send Andy his half, because there were some <laughs> kind of crazy ones today. But, uh, we do want to thank you all so much for joining us and uh, we hope you all enjoyed the stream and had a lot of fun and uh, a little stunted. Yeah. Um, yeah little, it was, the, the stream could have been longer, but it wasn't because we played it. And the, in the book. <laughs> Get in the book. Yeah. That, that is, um, we, we have that as a, a discord alert on a channel I'm on. It is always my favorite alert of Thorg. I'm just going short. <laughs> <laughs> so good techless just immediately going in the book but uh yeah well one of these days we'll have to do a stream on the 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 damas Kran. Um, so the uh poll for next week will be on your channel i believe yes but we have a special announcement a special announcement yeah what is it so tech you should you should you should tell them you're the one that organized I know it. what it is but you should tell because i don't remember what day it's on <laughs> What is it on? I don't know. I made the advert for it. God that doesn't it. mean I actually know what day it's on. Let me just oh, look it up now. Find out. <laughs> so we have a special announcement. So while um, the good old lore master of Sotek is scrolling back to find our date, we are going to be joined, graced by the ever so marvelous Mr. Gav Thorpe, who will be on coming in to discuss... October 15th! 
On October the 15th, he will be coming in to discuss all of your marvelous question, and of course, all of ours too. You will know good old Gav from all of the bestest novels what you have read, and of course, for working in the studio, not just writing Warhammer, and not just putting together the big campaigns, but basically doing everything that is Warhammer-tastic that we know and love today. So, Gav is coming to join us, and it's going to rock because Gav is actually awesome. He's one of the yeah. nicest guys I know. Super fucking excited uh, for Gav's visit. He has written some really important books when it comes to dwarves and elves, especially. Uh, it's it's gonna. I actually just read a short story of his for the first time I had never read before because mm -hmm. uh, I've been reading my way through Hammer and Bolter, which Hammer and Bolter is so fucking good. I never it knew it existed until quite quite recently, and I've been like buying all of them off eBay because obviously they're all out of print. And it's like some of these short stories are so fucking amazing. Um, but uh yeah anyway so oh, uh october the 15th gavthorpe um we're going to be doing the poll for next one over on this channel yeah, so yeah, where's so we are over on, YouTube on right my now. channel again okay so um while we're here we're as well subscribe to this week. channel if you haven't already because i'm uh, quite aware that a bunch of the warhammer fantasy roleplay crowd have come over and started watching and you haven't yet subscribed over onto loremaster sotex channel you really freaking should because it's full of not just marvelous beats of beats marvelous bits of lore <laughs> and he beats. drops up videos pretty much weekly covering all manner of cool shit that is often ignored by the role play game and you might want to add to your game so not only will you get a wealth of previous videos that you can go check in a bunch more will be coming over the course of the next so many weeks plus make sure you alert for us every single sunday so do subscribe here please don't forget to do that uh, I will note that uh, we did just, or I did just finish, uh, and also I had a little bit of help from Andy, which I actually really appreciated, but um, I did just finish a video on Araby uh, that's going to be coming out pretty soon. Um, it's mm -hmm. well over an hour of, like, lore, so <laughs> hopefully it'll be fun to watch. Um, but, uh, right. and also make sure, um, as I said, you go subscribe over to Andy as well. Uh, Lawhammer is chugging along great. I don't know how the hell he's managing to do it so consistently, but they're getting out episodes every Friday. Uh, mm -hmm. and it's awesome. The newest one had a siege of a castle and it was fucking fantastic. And lots of shenanigans happened. Um, there's also a very recent episode that was my favorite because it had the most horrifying hallucinogenic mushrooms I have ever <laughs> seen in the setting. <laughs> they were not regular hallucinogens. They were fucking nightmare hallucinogens. No one thought anything fun. <laughs> and then it got high. And then it got high. And then yeah. it got high. So also, <laughs> if you do pop over to our channel, um, when we reach 5K subs, there's going to be a very special video popped up over on Zotex channel. Yes, the Quick um, Head Taker. Really. Quick Head Taker. And it's going to be awesome. It's freaking hours long. You do not want to miss that, but you won't get it unless you go sub. So if you want more lore bits of awesome, do drop by the Lawhammer channel over on YouTube and sub, 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 subscribe. Yep. And this is the last lore beards for September. Uh, I'm gonna try and pick spooky subjects already. Yeah, yeah, it is. Wow. It's right here. Wow, um, it is, isn't it? Yep, this is this is spooky it. Subjects for next we are week. we are oh. off uh, October the first. This next episode, so I'm gonna be trying to do spooky themes for the entire month, uh, except for when we have Gav. But talking to Gav is spooky, so that'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's literal blackmail. It is blackmail. That's the point. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah, come come sub. 
I mean, yeah. it's how we work. <laughs> yeah. It's all, listen, Queek, we've been waiting on Queek for four years. Just, just do the blackmail, okay? <laughs> just yep. do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're going to get out of here. Uh, appreciate you all watching. Thank you very much. Uh, had a lot of people watching today, so we really appreciate you all being here. Yeah, you and rock. Thank you so much for coming along. We will see you around. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I should have had my finger on the in-stream thing because now